Welcome to the Film Seekers Podcast. Mainstream, art house, vintage and documentaries. We bring news and reviews of big screen productions to your earbuds. We seek films. Now relax and enjoy the show. show. Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's our second episode. Thank you so much for tuning in wherever you may be listening today. On the show, we'll be gently rocking in our cribs as we attempt to decode Darren Aronofsky's latest film, Mother. We take a dip into the world of film festivals and also run through the UK box office. This is the Filmseekers.com podcast. Hello to you. I am Neil Ramji. I'll be your host today for the Film Seekers podcast. Our mission, as always, is to go into those nooks and crannies of the film world, discover movies that you may not have given thought to, and take you into them. What we want to do is we want to produce a podcast that doesn't spoil films. Unfortunately, I think today's film will be a bit of an exception to that rule, as there's no other way of talking about it. However, we are clean. There's no swearing on our podcast. You can always get in touch with us as well. Uh, Hello at filmseekers.com. Twitter, you can follow us at filmseekers. And Facebook, you can follow us forward slash filmseekers. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you've seen. Let us know what you think of the show. And let us know how you felt when you saw those movies. Now, today, Today, once again, we've let him back in the studio. It's Mike Ross joining me. Hi, Mike. Hello. Let me back into the surprise of everyone. Yes. We thought you did such a great job last time. Uh, we allowed you to sit in our seat over on the table. How do you feel this week? Yeah, very good. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back again. I'm, I'm looking forward to this week's, this week's show. Are you looking forward to discussing Aronofsky's mother a bit later on? I am. I am. It's a, it's a weird one, but... I, hopefully discussing it will help me to solidify some of my opinions on it, I think. I think I'm in the same boat as you, Mike. I had trouble deciphering what was going on in the film, but we'll come on to that a bit later on yeah, today. Let's not jump the gun. We've got some feedback from our first episode. This is exciting. Uh, we had a few people that came back to us and got in contact with us through the ways that I've mentioned before. Uh, we'll start off with someone talking about, well, let's go with the negative first. Let's get that out of the way and then we can do all the praiseworthy stuff afterwards. Makes sense. Uh, we like feedback, wherever it may be, negative or positive. Uh, we had a chap called Craig Bennett contact us via email uh, regarding his thoughts on our Detroit podcast, which was our first one we did last week. Um, we apparently should stay away from liberal political statements, uh, was his comment. I mean, I don't know what you think about this, Mike. Um, I didn't think we were overly liberal or we made that many political statements last week. No, I, I didn't think we we did too many. Uh, what I mean, I thought we largely just, just kind of pointed out stuff that seemed obvious, but... Uh, well, maybe. I mean, I do come from I do come from a liberal standpoint. I, I acknowledge that I, I am proudly liberal. So maybe we we're being invaded by the right here, Mike, um, on our little liberal ledge. Uh, we do try and be balanced on the Film Seekers podcast. If you're from a different political leaning than me and Mike, and I will wear my 
badge on my sleeve and say, yes, I am slightly liberal leaning as well. Uh, but if you come come with a great argument to us, by all means, we'll read it out and discuss it. There's, there's, there's always a place for someone's views, as we discussed with Anthony Bourdain last week. I always like to hear opposing views as well, as, as, as long as they are thought out and it's, it's not just reactionary or something like that, then I always like to have my opinions challenged. Um, so, Craig Bennett, we salute you. Thank you for getting in contact with us and uh, telling us your thoughts on our Detroit episode. Jason and Lee from the Atlantic SC podcast. Uh, we love those guys. Yeah, uh, my favourites. And um, they, they came, uh, Jason came with some very, very nice feedback for us, uh, including saying that we have a great rapport. Uh, I, I, do we have a great rapport, Mike? I mean, there's, there's a joke answer of, oh yeah, I can't stand this guy. But I mean, I think we get along fairly well. We're not exactly Laurel and Hardy, but... Uh, we're friends. We're, we we like we? each other. I think. <laughs> I, I mean, I thought so. Clearly, okay. I've been reading into things. Um, but uh, Jason was very, very kind and said some nice words, including that our production sounded fantastic. Well, we do try. Um, as you may not or may know, we do all of this live here. So here's Neil on the controls, mixing away. I was going to say, we we is definitely an overstatement. Your good self does does uh, all the heavy lifting there. Uh, our show is recorded live, including all of the jingles and everything else that you may hear today. So if you hear the odd error here or there, uh, it's because it's been recorded live and we just don't go into the post-edit as much as uh, other podcasts do. Jason and Lee, as we said, were from the Atlantic SC podcast. Um, they did a brilliant episode this week on Shane Carruth's upstream color have you got around to listening to that one yet uh, no i'm i'm attempting to catch up on the film i've i've seen primer i i haven't yet seen upstream color so it's one where where they do go so deep on a film um i i, I prefer to watch it before i i listen to their views um so yeah it's it's one that i'm i'm keen to catch up on and then we'll we'll listen as soon as i can obviously lee as part of that podcast goes in very very deep with his films he is the equivalent of the Susie Dent from Countdown, I would say. And that's a, that's a compliment. That's a high compliment. That's a very uh, high compliment. Uh, Susie Dent is a, is a uh, guest on uh, one of these quiz shows who goes into the etymology of words. She's a lexicographer. Lexicographer. There we are. That's, that's the term uh, way above my station. Sorry. Thank you. That's why you're here, Mike, to, <laughs> to correct me on these things. I've got some bad news. Uh, sadly, the quiz is not with us this week, Mike. Oh. I know. But it will return in future episodes when we have another guest on. I didn't want to put you through that ordeal for the second week on the trots. That's a fair point. I don't know, I don't know why I'm eyeing. It's, it's, a, it's a relief for me. I, I sweated and... and- and got so nervous on the last one that it's nice it's relaxing i can just i can just le- ease ease into it this week well i do have some good news we've got some great guests line up in a couple of weeks time that we're going to be putting in the can and playing on the show including a couple of actors a Ooh. uk director Ooh. A projectionist. Uh, And these are not disingenuous reactions. I don't know about these, so I am actually excited. Um, And uh, we've got an editor who uh, is currently, has just wrapped up on a film with Rachel Weisz, which is out next year, which is perhaps also tip for Oscars next year as well. Yeah, I think I know the film. You do know the film. Uh, But we won't talk about that much more. We'll save that for coming episodes. That's a little bit of an an amuse-bouche, as they say in the food world. Um, We've got some other feedback that I just want to kind of get out there and get it all out of the way. So um, a a chap called James Sprague contacted us via Facebook to say that we need more jingles for the show. They're handy for editing and my God, do we need an editor, Mike. (laughs) Uh, Last week, 
we talked for two hours and a quarter. At, at least, I think. Um, we did take a chunk of that show out because it was getting to biblical proportions, uh, which ties in with our uh, main oh, review. rather Ooh. handily. We're really, really sorry. We'll try so hard this week to make it even longer uh, and put you through uh, three hours of hell. Have you seen Once Upon a Time in America? We'll try and beat that length uh, by a long shot. But as we said, we do put everything to tape as pretty much exactly as you hear. So we will try and cut down on our length and make things a little bit more succinct. Thank you to all our friends and colleagues who have given us some brutally honest feedback. Uh, it's the kind of feedback that we do like. We do like the praise, but we much more appreciate the harsh reality of things that people don't like and how we can improve. Being told how great you are doesn't make you grow as a person. Being told you suck can really help you to develop. <laughs> the school of hard knocks is where Mike grew up. Indeed, indeed. So we, we really, really appreciate um, everything that you've sent to us. Uh, so we've got a list of banned words, which we will undoubtedly repeat several times today i I am sure Uh, band words include essentially absolutely mind-blowing which we used for several of the films and performances last week and also fantastic i think that's part of my vocabulary that i kind of interject a few of these words now and again i just love going back to them they're great words it's a tough one you don't notice until you're brought up on these things that you do overuse certain words so we are, we are trying to improve and, and be better for you. Well, if you like what you hear, and thank you to everyone who did listen in, um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, listen to us on Stitcher, and uh, also we have a little player on the website as well. So lots and lots of different ways. I think it goes to a couple of other podcast directories as well. But the best thing you could do for us is tell other people about it if you really, really like what you hear. Yeah, word of mouth, I think, is quite important with podcasts. It's it's most of my podcasts that i listen to have been recommended to me by people i know it's there's there's not the traditional modes of marketing that you would find with other mediums so word of mouth is is yeah i think vitally important and the other thing that you can vitally do is subscribe and you will get the jump on our next episode so if you've subscribed and this landed in your ipod or your iphone or whatever device you're listening to it's because you did the right thing my friends yeah and it's all done for you you don't have to bother downloading it or it it just automatically comes over to you Uh, without further ado mike let's get into the news this week Uh, we've got three talking points Uh, it's not a definitive list but we've got three talking points that we'd like to discuss this week it seems like we're coming back to the same subject on our second episode and it is the issue of representation. I mean, yeah, if if it wasn't such an issue, we wouldn't be addressing it so frequently. No, and uh, this week, Jake Gyllenhaal was called out for pl- portraying a double amputee in the film Stronger, which depicts the bombings uh, of the Boston Marathon? Yeah, he's he's at the at the Boston Marathon when the when a bomb goes off. Right, um, and, as, as happened a few years ago. And he, he plays one of the real-life bomb survivors, uh, Jeff Bowman, I, I, I believe his name yes, is. Yes, who uh, wrote, wrote a book about his experiences that I, the, the film is partly based off. I'm not sure to quite what degree, but, but largely based off of... Well, I read he actually co-wrote the film. Oh, wow. To, to, I, I didn't know so that. So he's clearly yeah. integrated into the, the subject matter. And authenticity. Yeah, that's absolutely essential. There's two words for you <laughs> to the story. And I, I think by... Jeff Bowman actually getting involved in co-writing this film, does he not consent then to say, actually, it's okay for some able-bodied person to play this role? There is maybe an element of that, but 
there's also the I'm I'm sure the the studio system the the business of filmmaking plays a part in it. In you get Jake Gyllenhaal, you've got some more bums on seats than you would say with someone who is unknown. We think about uh, I mean, can you think of any uh, actors with disabilities that are quite prominent? Not um, off the top of your head. Uh, yeah, um, RJ. I can't remember his surname. Sila, M- no. Mi- Mi- Mitra, or or something like that. Oh. The son from Breaking Bad. Okay, um, who is is the only example I can think of, which is is indicative of the problem. Walt Junior. Walt Junior. Um, it does go to show that Hollywood films do require that star power. There, um, we haven't reached the point in society whereby we have people with uh, disabilities um, in major hollywood roles who can attain that star power and it's once again i think it's a sad indictment of society in itself i think you're right and the treatment of other people who are not considered and i put this in air quotes normal um because yeah obviously the argument often used against this is well you know that they're actors that their job is to portray lives that aren't their own but you have to acknowledge the fact that that with jake gyllenhaal and and with others the, they have an ease into the business due to their being a, a white male. And, and so it is that lack of representation for others, whether it be racial, gender, ability. It it just makes it harder for them to get through the door, to get their foot in the door. Uh, and that is the problem. Yeah, if you can see someone robbing those roles for you, which you are perfect to play, then it doesn't give you hope that perhaps you would be uh, a well-known actor or actress, actually... They're both the same word. I've been told about this. You'll be a well-regarded actor in the future. Uh, it just it doesn't inst- inspire or instill anyone to go for that as a job. Yeah, you know it will be harder. Much harder uh, because someone like Jake Gyllenhaal will take your place quite quickly. Who, don't get me wrong. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I think he's an amazing actor. Uh, Nightcrawler, I think, is, is a brilliant performance that probably should have won him an Oscar. Mm. And so I, I, I'm not knocking Jake Gyllenhaal as a talent. I, I think he is stellar, but you you have to acknowledge the fact that he's got this job through ease, essentially, through privilege, through, you know... Well, through talent as well, to an extent. You true. Know, he's, he's paid his dues, he's walked the boards, he does lots of different roles. That is true. Uh, it's, it's a really difficult question that I guess we could be here all night debating. <laughs> uh, but let's put another slant on this so another person who was called out this week was benedict cumberbatch or bland man as i like to think of him mm, yes I, uh, <laughs> I i am a fan we'll, okay. we'll start off by saying that not not so much for yourself no i i really dislike this uh privileged white british uh, acting elite that seem to have invaded hollywood space so and, and cornered the market as well pretty much you look at people like eddie redmayne ray fines you could even throw in there he's part of the older school yeah but um the newer school cumberbatch eddie redmayne uh there are a few i think dominic cooper we can throw in there as well felicity felicity jones um so yeah it's not confined to just men um and i do think because they have had such a privileged background of an upbringing um I, i'm not aware of felicity jones are we throwing names into the hat here Star Wars. Yeah, Rogue no, no, no. One. I'm not aware that she had a privileged background. Oh, okay. I, I must have. I might have picked this information up erroneously. Okay. Uh, allegedly, I, I, she yeah. Had... I might have tarred her with a brush that she really doesn't deserve to be tarred with. But 
it is quite evident in uh, Benedict and uh, Eddie Redmayne. Uh, Eddie Redmayne, incidentally, another person who plays someone with a disability. Uh, yeah, controversially again. In The Theory of Everything, uh, Stephen Hawking. But Hawking gave his blessing, and once again, does that consent negati- uh, negate the fact it's that It's also one that it? I think with Theory of Everything is, is, is a bit trickier, where due to the condition of cerebral palsy and, and the span of the film... To have an actor with that condition play that role could cause some serious health problems for them. To 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 adopt the position, say sure. that that Hawking has, where where you start to hunch in uh, and uh, tense up almost. I I I'm obviously not a doctor, so I don't know this for any kind <laughs> oh, of. Oh certainty. really? I I thought you were, Mike. But it seems to me like that's the sort of thing that could be damaging if if you have that pre-existing condition. Whereas with stronger, it it. It's not as much of an issue, I don't think. It's not just confined to the physical, but I can see where you're you're coming from. We had a film last year called My Feral Heart in the UK, which explored young people with Down syndrome. Okay. Um, And the people with Down syndrome actually had that condition in real life uh it got great reviews um from the the public it's a film by jane gull if you wanted to seek out i think it's on streaming sites now and uh, it's about a chap called luke uh, independent young man with down syndrome stumbles upon a wild and life-changing friendship but he got great plaudits for his performance in that film and i just think it's one of those barrier-breaking moments where you have someone in a lead role with something a condition that's not usually considered as being able to see through a, a film. Uh, so, for example, in My Feral Heart, where Luke has Down syndrome and has Down syndrome in real life as an actor, just goes to prove that, you know, we're, we're shattering glass ceilings left, right and centre. And I think it's only to the benefit of uh, the film industry. And it's good to see it's coming from the UK. I have not seen anything at all like that from Hollywood, really. Not that I can think of, no. No, and they are the front runners, sadly, in this whole regime. And a regime I use uh, quite loosely. Uh, but Benedict Cumberbatch, the reason we mentioned him, he at Toronto Film Festival, which is just recently finished, we'll talk about festivals momentarily. Uh, he, the BBC have announced that they are bringing out a film based on Mikey Walsh's best-selling memoir, Gypsy Boy. Uh, and it's uh, about a uh, lad who was a quite competent boxer. Okay. And uh, called Mikey Walsh. And he had a Romany gypsy sort of tough background, uh, bare-knuckle boxing sort of background. And he had very a very difficult time realising that he was actually gay within a society or a enclave that shunned homosexuality um and it is his story um and so benedict cumberbatch will play uh mikey's father uh, frank and i don't really know why someone of romany gypsy background can't step into that role uh perhaps no. even with more inf- authenticity than benedict cumberbatch again i i, I think it's uh there's, there's just not the positions for them there uh, and is it any different from a, a black Asian or mixed or ethnic representation that someone from a completely different background steps into that, that role? No, no, not at all. When, when I say there aren't any positions there, I mean unjustly so, that, you know, that there is this dominance of of the acting trade by quite a lot of, of well-off people. And, and so if you can just start to get those people coming through the doors, the talent will shine through as, as I'm sure the talent is there. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have been to Eton to be a good actor. You know, that's not how it works. No, no, not at all. And thinking of um, what they call GRT, add that acronym to your okay. 
vocabulary, Mike. It's Gypsy, Roma and Traveller. That is the acronym for representation of that particular group. Okay. Trying to think of any GRT depictions on screen and the immediate one that comes to mind is Brad Pitt in Snatch. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I doubt a, an accurate representation. Uh, no, 100% not. Uh, but it's sad that, once again, that's the only thing that we can recall, uh, you know, with great vivid uh, memory of that film. Uh, it was a pretty much show-stopping performance from Brad Pitt, but and possibly exaggerated uh, to the extent and that... Caricature. Caricature, because and... it kind of fit the film, I guess, to an extent. But why couldn't someone of GRT background have taken that role? Um, we will never know. Um, that's the sad thing. So, yeah, those the representation, once again, still bubbling away. And do you it know what? Still as important. It is. And on the Film Seekers podcast, we will probably keep talking about that until we see some significant change. I think it, it's one of the issues that I take to heart with me. And I really do think that if we keep the conversation live and going, that perhaps it will get in other people's head and that might permeate into society somehow. I just think it's really important to keep that conversation going. Yeah, change never comes of nothing. It, it comes from, from, it starts from conversations, it comes from action through people. And and so talking about it is, is bringing attention to it. It's, it's not the whole battle, but it's a good start. And so we will do our part as much as we are able. Stay tuned for representation part three next week. <laughs> uh, we want to talk about the next point, which is Movie Pass. Now, if you're not from the States, you may not know about this. Movie Pass is a subscription service whereby you get a card and you can reserve off seats in any cinema in the USA. They will uh, reserve the seats off on the system, so they're guaranteed for you. Uh, you will then go into the cinema and they will credit this prepaid MasterCard with the correct amount to purchase those seats. Uh, the card only... This is interesting. The card only <laughs> activates within a certain radius of the cinema. Okay. So you can't go down the road and purchase uh, an alcoholic beverage, for example. So it only activates within the cinema. So you, And I think it, the card knows it's only supposed to be used to purchase those tickets. So the card gets loaded. You purchase the tickets with the money that gets loaded onto this card. Yeah. There are some other restrictions around it. The main thing being about MoviePass, and this is not an advert for MoviePass, I think... The thing we wanted to discuss was the ever-changing face of cinema going and getting people back into the theatres, especially with the last few years where people had sort of, you know, turned away from cinema going because of the restriction, the high bar for price. Yeah, it's one where ticket prices, I think, have, have gone through the roof and it, it definitely does keep people away. I, th I think the modern audience is also partly less adventurous with their film choice. When you're paying so much, you want to know it's something you're going to enjoy. You're less willing to take a chance. Mm hmm which I think is a real shame. It is a real shame. Now, the reason MoviePass has jumped into the world <clears throat> of our news is because they've drastically reduced their prices. It was about, around about $50 for a monthly subscription, and you could see it's pretty much as many it's films. almost a film a day, I think, is, is yeah, how they do it. Yeah, you could watch anything you wanted. They've now reduced the price to nine ninety five, which is the equivalent of around about maybe £7, something like that, £6. Uh, very very cheap reasonable yeah uh beyond reasonable i would say <laughs> it's, it's it's apparently it's a loss making uh, a loss making system oh, that's wow. been put in place it's been thought up by one of the guys who mitch lowe who founded netflix and he said basically look what i've done to home video watching 
uh, destroyed Blockbuster essentially and any of the other video rental services and have become a stable in the home rental market or home watching market, shall I say. And now look what I will do to the cinema going experience. I'll completely transform that as well. So uh, Mitch Lowe has taken this chance and he has dropped this price on his MoviePass system and millions and millions of people obviously going to subscribe to it. And in fact, so much so that the system is struggling Mm -hmm. now to, to keep up with all the support necessary and everything else. And it's not been received particularly well. Uh, and uh, I can imagine. By who? <laughs> uh, one of the large chains in the States, AMC, have uh, turned around and they own a, uh, 660 cinemas, according to my notes here in front of me. They threatened legal action against MoviePass, uh, saying that uh, the model is unsustainable and uh, they were actually looking to roll out their own subscription plan, surprise, surprise, at a higher price. Shocker! I think the great thing about MoviePass is that you can go and see films that almost any chain, it's not dependent on whether that particular cinema participates to an extent, you can support your local independent. And also, by doing this, surely it gives you more money to spend on concessions, refreshments, that sort of thing. And the idea being is that the theatre itself would give a split of the money that's extra money that's made out of food and, and drinks on uh, in the cinema itself. And that's how the model would sustain itself going forward. I think, once again, I'm so positive about this because I think it's a great idea to drive people into the cinema, get people excited about films. And like you said, take a chance on some films. Now that it doesn't matter, you're only paying $9.95 a month to go and subscribe to the system. Yeah, it's it's also surely putting bums on seats that that might not otherwise be there, mm. and it, and that has to be for the better. Absolutely, and the this this system is no surprise to us. We have some loyalty schemes and unlimited systems in the UK. Uh, there's two ones that stand out to mind. One of them, uh, Odeon Limitless. Yeah, which is uh, about eighteen pounds as we speak currently. And it's a 12-month subscription service. And you can see as many films as you want in 2D, um, as many times as you want. Uh, in any Odeon in cinema. In any Odeon cinema, um, with certain other restrictions around them. A similar one that is is the Cineworld, which is another large chain of cinemas in the UK. Which is the unlimited, I think. Which is. has the unlimited card, yes. And a very similar idea to the um, Odeon card. So um, those are systems that... We've had in the UK for a few years now. We're kind of used to that system, but the difference being is this movie pass one seems to transcend any movie uh, cinema chain. Beg your pardon. I was going to say those are quite they're in house basically. They're they're restricted to the to, that chain. to the cinema chain, and so broadening it out, I think, is is a very good thing. I I do too, but not everyone sort of ag- agrees with this. Um, that as I said. AMC have pulled up about that sort of thing. And just kind of going back to the home video aspect of it, James Murdoch, Rupert Murdoch's son, who is the chief exec... <laughs> no comment. Uh, ...is the chief exec of uh, 21st uh, Century Fox, has called out Netflix saying that uh, that uh, well, Amazon and Netflix are where shows go to die. Which seems a little bit rich to me, uh, coming from the Murdochs, who uh, anyone from America might not be aware, but uh, Sky TV really dominates film and television. 
releasing well, in, in the UK. The Murdoch's own uh, Fox as well, several newspapers around the world. They have quite the monopoly. They are media moguls. They have they have this controlling aspect to them that uh, perhaps is being loosened. It's being challenged by Netflix and Amazon. It, it does feel slightly <laughs> like sour grapes. <laughs> um, obviously, as well, they, they have their own competing service with, with Now TV. Oh, of course, yes. Which, which just seems to be trying to do the same. So not everyone is happy about this spread of subscription services, and especially at home at the moment. I'm not sure what I feel about this. I think, like I said a moment ago, the spread, uh, people are taking more chances on content that they would not normally go to. I think it can only be for the better. I find myself now having so much content that I can barely keep up with what I want to watch. My, my watch list is as long as my arm, and Mike, Mike can probably empathise with this a little uh, yeah, bit. And ever-growing. And ever growing. And we will spend like 20 minutes just flicking through our watch list, trying to look for something to watch. And Out of it. the many possible options, it, there's almost too much choice. There is. And uh, we will just eat into our own time. And the final thing that we kind of wanted to touch on... Oh, yeah, I, this, this one is quite heartbreaking. Well, you can lead this one, Mike. So. Um, Harry Dean Stanton, legendary the 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 character actor to end all character actors has has sadly passed on. Yeah, ninety one years, not a bad innings, as they say over in the UK. Sixty years of those working in film is it's, is ridiculously impressive. Su- yeah, supremely impressive. He is an actor that's gone into pretty much every well every type of genre that you can imagine. It was only a few weeks ago that I introduced Paris, Texas on a cinema screen to a brand new generation of cinephiles who thoroughly enjoyed his performance in that film. If you haven't seen it, it's one of my favourites, Evs. Go and see it. But he's been in so many films. And is there anything on on, on his sort of uh, filmography there that kind of well, stands out to you? For me, um, it's the sci-fi greats. So Escape from New York. Oh, with Kurt Russell. Yeah, he's he's brilliant in that. Um, Alien. How how can you not mention Alien? The original crew of the Nostradamus. Yes, uh, he's I Nostromo, the pilot. So. Nostromus. Yeah, Nostromo. I believe he's the pilot, but I'm not a hundred percent on that. It's been quite a while since I've seen the it's original. Been a while for me as well. Um, but he just he nailed that that vibe of space trucker. The the believable. You know, one of the things that Alien is known for is is redefining how we thought of space travel, mm-hmm. and it, it made it more commercial um, and more workmanlike. Um, and and he completely sold that for me with his hangdog face and and just this sort of rough, worn in feel to him that made all of his characters very believable. Yeah, yeah, he, he certainly had this man who's had done some hard graft in his he's, life. He's led a life. Yeah, in in every one of his films, you just get the sense that this man has led a life. Yeah, it's, it lends itself to his belie- believability. He was in Alpha Dog. I never got around to watching that film. That was the one with Justin Timberlake as a uh, army it's, vet. Yeah, it's quite a good film. It's underrated, I think. I, I think people wrote it off because of Justin Timberlake's oh. sort of involvement. But it was actually the the performance of his that made me appreciate Justin Timberlake and. Uh, Anton Yelchin, another sadly, sadly passed on, who I thought was was someone really interesting and just he was just starting to break through and, and he was picking unusual films and, and lending his name and getting things made that otherwise wouldn't have been made. And, and so tragedy to lose. 
as it as it is whenever anyone dies yeah is, of course. is the you know you you don't mean more because you're in a film no that 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 is very true um i'm just looking through his uh, discography here as it as it were uh, he's worked with Scorsese, Last Temptation of Christ in 88. He's also done, Christine, the adaptation of the Stephen King novel uh, in 1983. The Killer Car. The Killer Car, yes. What, what classic, cult classic. Seems like we, we've been talking about Stephen King's sort of revival and uh, with it doing so well in cinemas across the world at this moment in time. Perhaps maybe we will see an, uh, a revival of the Stephen King horror of old back on our screen. Reappraising those films. I, I could definitely see that happening. I, I'd love to see some reimaginings of maybe not the ones that were iconic to me, like Misery, but maybe Cujo could be brought back, the the killer dog, and Pet Cemetery as well. But uh, Pet Cemetery, I think, is one that could really work. You reckon? I, I think so. With the advances in technology, things like that, I think you could do quite a scary but fun film with it. Okay. Um, he also did The Green Mile, obviously, which was part of the compendium of stories. <clears throat> Harry Dean Stanton, RIP, um, you served us well. You will still serve us well for many years to come with your performances on the screen. I am particularly looking forward to revisiting some of the work he did with David Lynch. He was a big collaborator with David Lynch, did Twin Peaks together, yeah. uh, Inland Empire, Wild at Heart. What a film with Nicolas Cage. Uh, uh, still need to catch up on that one. It's on my list of shame. Cage and uh, Laura Dern, once again, another big collaborator with uh, David Lynch. So R.O.P., there is a Harry Dean Stanton festival that goes on every year where everyone watches Harry Dean Stanton uh, films. So uh, long may that live to his memory. We're going to kind of delve into our festivals as we normally do uh, on our show. I say normally after our first episode, (laughs) we're going to talk festivals. Last week, we covered Venice, Toronto and a little bit of London, announcing that we will be in attendance at London Film Festival. Super excited about that. We'll be doing live reactions uh, that we will incorporate into a special festival edition after London Film Festival. But also before that, we have the opportunity to watch a few of the films going into that, which we'll discuss in a moment. First film festival I want to talk about... Well, actually, before we even touch on it, which is Toronto TIFF, as it's known, Toronto International Film Festival. Which I do love that. Someone asked me this week, what goes on at a film festival? And I try to describe it as best as possible. My mother thinks it's like a music festival where there are several (laughs) stages and uh, there is a headline act at the end of the, each day, uh, and there's lots of mud on the floor, I guess. Uh, my mum has no idea. Everyone dresses up weird outfits yeah. and gets drunk all got the time. It. Absolutely. I tried to explain it to her. I don't think she got it still. Uh, film festivals are tend to be themed. Uh, they are split into different strands, and those strands pertain to those themes. So, f- for example, let's use London as an example. There's love, debate... Uh, thrill, thrill dare. dare yeah and then after the strands of the films have been sorted out into roughly categories you get an idea of what kind of film you're going into in that category if not the whole story but at least you have some idea there's also another part of the festival which are the competition films so a certain amount of films have been selected to play against each other sort of be evaluated against each other and uh, go up for a prestigious prize which is the winner of 
of the festival. Um, for those uninitiated, you you may have seen the the little symbols you'll often see on the front of DVDs. There, there'll sometimes be multiple ones the that little, are all the festival wins that they accrued on their journey. The little laurel leaves around yes, the side. Yes, that's the one. And uh, yeah, they that's that's how they get them by going into film festivals, saying picked for official selection at whatever festival it may be. So a jury is specially selected for each film festival, generally. They are renowned people across the world, actors, directors, editors, uh, people of note within the industry, and they will preside over those films, usually about eight, and it could be maybe more or less. Sometimes less, sometimes more, yeah. And they will watch those films and uh, then come to a decision, a debate, and decide who wins the grand jury prize and who ultimately wins that prize. We are going to talk about Toronto's winners this week. And uh, Toronto's been running from the 7th of September to the 17th of September. And uh, we kind of delved into some of the films that were playing at TIFF this week. I don't know if there's anything, Mike, that you wanted to sort of talk around. Um, I I mean, I I brought up three last week on the the podcast that that had caught my eye. I Am Not a Witch, which was the film by Rungani. Rungani Nioni, who um, I kicking myself afterwards for all the things I failed to say, um, is a Nigerian descent, but Welsh raised, who has gone back to Nigeria for her first film, which I think is just some quite interesting context. Quite a plane trip, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and then also last week, you spoke about uh, the representation of women at Toronto Film Festival, not only because there was... It was uh, a third of all the feature films were helmed by women. Okay. Featured women in prominent roles? Was uh, I believe, Yeah. Helmed, directed, written, or, or featured them prominently, but, but also a lot that were... Women were the driving force, force behind, behind yeah. rather than just the, the bit players. So a couple of the films that we spoke about last week, Lady Bird was one, the Greta Gerwig debut. Uh, there are a couple of other films in there, a very crowd-pleasing film uh, about the Billie Jean King story, uh, who was a famous tennis player, uh, played by Emma Stone in this particular film, uh, against a chauvinistic pig, I think, for want of a better word. I think that's fair. Uh, Although possibly, uh, it's one I've I've heard some varying things about. He he maybe was was in on it and played up to it, but that that could just be retconning, to be honest. Okay, so the basic story uh, of this film, which is Battle of the Sexes, by the way, let's get that out there. Always always good to know. <laughs> always good to know. Uh, it's directed by Valerie Farris and uh, Jonathan Dayton. Uh, they were the duo behind Little Miss Sunshine. And this is very much a crowd-pleasing film. It's the story of Billie Jean King, who was a very famous tennis player in the uh, late 70s, early early mid-70s. She was challenged to a mixed-sex tennis match uh, by this guy who was just full of himself, his complete self-proclaimed know-it-all sort of guy. And he put a lot of money on the line, thinking that he could beat any woman in the world. And uh, we won't go into the whole story, but he challenged Billie Jean King to a, a tennis match, which was, you know televised and, and broadcast to the whole world yeah and uh that that's one of the films that uh is led by a woman and directed obviously by valerie farris there as part of the directing duo and um, we've also got molly's game which is the aaron sorkin uh debut his directorial, directorial debut, debut yes um, he's, he's written a number of films before but but this is the first one where he's in the director's seat and sorkin is known in the industry for being a fantastic writer he's written uh, the west wing uh, the Social Network and Steve Jobs. 
Lots and lots. <laughs> lots and lots of films. Uh, this film stars uh, Jessica Chastain once again in a powerhouse female lead role. It seems like Jessica Chastain has a real grip role and she's advocating female representation, women representation rather, in the film industry. She's come out and said, I will deliberately seek out films that are directed by women, have very important stories regarding the portrayal of women every single year that i am acting i think that's great where she now has the name that she is is definitely able to do that she can get films made just by being in them i I think i think a lot of people look up to her as a role model you know all genders she's a very 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 strong-headed person and everything i've seen at any opportunity she uses her star power to advocate something she believes in so fervently. You know, she's a real believer in women on screen and that important balance of representation. I, I just love Jessica Chastain. What can I say? Miss um, Sloan was just a mind-blowingly... There we go. Mind- <laughs> I've, I've caught myself once or twice throughout. <laughs> mind-blowingly a great film of a strong female character. She's in a film with... Is this the film with Ed- Idris Elba, Molly's Game, the Aaron Sorkin film? No, I don't believe so. That's something else that the name escapes me right now. Okay. But anyway, Toronto, Molly's Game directorial debut from Aaron Sorkin. Played. Yeah, the, I, I know that the plot is um, she works at a high high stakes poker game that is attended by celebrities and big financiers, all, all the sort of air quotes important people um and she decides to launch her own game and and takes a lot of the the customers from the previous business with her and and it's about her sort of running the show and and ruling the shop okay i love it already that's a yeah i I mean i'm sold i'm I'm hoping that that may play as a surprise film at london film festival this year and uh, we may get opportunity to see it so Toronto awarded all of its prizes. We're we're now uh, a few days after its final ceremony. Did you have cast your eye over what won, Mike? I I did, um, largely because I was doing this podcast. So I, I thought I really should. I I really ought to. I barracked um, you into doing it, Mike. Don't but, tell everyone that. Um, obviously, the the big winner. Uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Why should I care about this film, Mike? Well, it is the new film by Martin McDonough, who, who is, is the director of In Bruges, which I think is an absolutely incredible film. Seven Psychopaths as well. He was the, the writer and director of. I'm a bit more lukewarm on that film, if I'm honest. Oh, I didn't particularly like that film. Off the, off the strength of In Bruges alone, it, it's got me intrigued. Um, it's got an amazing cast. Absolutely ridiculous amount of talent on Who, board. Who's in You've it, Michael? Francis McDormand. Oh, from, who you will know from, from Fargo, Fargo and and Coen Brothers other Coen Brothers movies, uh, Sam Rockwell. Okay. So from Moon and another another collaborator. He was in Seven Psychopaths, of course. Yes. Yeah, and, and and an occasional Coen collaborator as well. Oh. Uh, and then Woody Harrelson as well, who turns up in pretty much anything nowadays. Uh, <laughs> to to, to the betterment, credit, yeah. to the betterment yeah. of the things. Normally, um, it it looks like a Coen's brother film, but with a filthier mouth. <laughs> which is is that's immediately that's me on board okay yeah i've i i know this film is closing london film festival this year um fingers crossed get find somewhere as dark hole that we'll be able to see it uh, at some point um very much looking forward to it and i love madonna's previous work apart from 
seven psychopaths. So she got a standing ovation, Frances McDormand, I, I believe. I read someone from Empire, Emma, if you're listening from Empire, hello. You said you're there at Toronto at the moment and you said that she'd never seen anything like it. Frances McDormand got a standing ovation at the uh, end of the film. film. That's yeah. amazing. It's, it's brilliant. Any, anything, anything else that sort of, sort of did the, did the jury proud? Uh, well, at? the, the other one for me is, uh, the film bodied, bodied is uh, that- a rap battle story. I believe it. I've seen, I've, I haven't, it doesn't always seem to have the suffix attached, which I think is probably for the better. I think bodied works better. Um, but yeah, is a first time feature from Joseph Kahn, or uh, otherwise, uh, I believe that's his professional name. What's, um, what's, his, what's his real name? Ahn Jun-hee. Uh, he's of Korean descent. Uh, and he is a music video director. Um, so Bodied, uh, what was the link with Eminem, I seem to... Uh, it, it's a rap battle Oh, so that's, that's the link. It, it, it's okay. about that. Also, I... I no, he's he worked with Eminem music. As I said, music video director. So he's worked with some of the big talents in hip hop. He's worked with Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Fifty Cent, Eminem. So you know the the real the heavy hitters, of as it were. Um, and and it's why I'm quite excited about this film, as it it seems to come from someone with a, a love and also knowledge of the scene. Um, as 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 was mentioned on last week's uh, podcast, I am I am quite a hip hop fan. A big fan. I am I am a head. As as it might be known, hip hop um, and and so I've seen quite a lot of post eight mile. There were a lot of films that tried to cash in on the same remit, remit or, yeah, or tried yeah. to try to get in on the same sort of audience, tried to attract the same audience, but they just didn't have that knowledge or love that both eight mile and from the looks of it that bodied has. Okay, anything else at all at Toronto uh, at the uh, a prize giving that sort of. Um, kind of stood up for you at all oh, well a, f- a few of the runners up uh have, have got me in- intrigued mm-hmm. and the disaster artist looks, oh. looks really good so the disaster artist is a film about the making of a film uh, called f- the room and it is notorious for being one of the worst films ever made so much so you I've, can i've seen that moniker attached okay. to it definitely okay so much so that you can enjoy it with your friends uh so bad it's good i think that's uh, the yeah I, I like to think of them as um some impairment required so if, <laughs> if, if you have a you have a little drink or something you'll probably enjoy it a bit more and uh so that's a disaster artist it's coming to cinemas uh late part of quarter four as they say on posters so uh, and features james franco seth rogan dave franco alison breed uh, again uh, the cream cast. of the crop yeah stellar cast um i noticed on there as well uh, mike that one of the runners up for the people's choice award was a film that you're locked into at london film festival this year the brawl in cell block 99 yes one i'm i'm very excited about is the uh, the next feature from s craig zala why should i care about him is the writer and director of Bone Tomahawk. Ah, now I saw which that. Was a London, great yes. film that came out a few years ago. Yeah, I did see that one. I think a lot of people lost their lunch during that film. <laughs> it's it's one where yeah, it had quite a late on genre switch. I, th- I think is a fair way to put it. It's it's a film that for a lot lot of its runtime seems like it is one film and then switches on you. And, it's and it's goes a West, in Western a horror direction. film, by the way. If anyone's sort of questioning what it's about, it's starring Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell, Matthew, Matthew Fox. Fox, Patrick. I can't remember Wilson. his name. Wilson. There you go, um, uh, and and you know uh, others. Uh, Richard Jenkins unrecognizable yes he was in the role it, to the extent that it was only afterwards that i realized who it was yeah. 
Um, and yeah, a, a great film. So has got me very excited, excited for uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99, which features, again, an almost unrecognisable, I'm not going to be allowed to say this after this podcast, uh, Vince Vaughn. He he has bulked up for the role. He is bald-headed. He, it, it just looks like a Vince Vaughn we've never seen before See, on screen. Phil's, Vince Vaughn is sort of dipped in the last maybe 10 years or so he hasn't he did true detective season two which i never got on board with it i enjoyed but it it certainly didn't do as well as the first season and wasn't as well received okay and that was along with colin farrell colin farrell and taylor kitsch okay so the three of them in the second season i never bothered because as soon as vince vaughn got involved because of the quality of his work as of late i just didn't have the time to waste on that sort of thing but yeah this this I mean, this this might be me projecting, but it has a feel of uh, John Travolta in Pulp Fiction. It, it seems like this could be something that will reinvigorate the career of, of Vince Vaughn. Of Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn Naissance. Uh, We're yeah. just putting Naissance on the uh, end. Uh, it is one I have heard just randomly attached to so many names. We will talk about another actor a bit later on today who's also having a Naissance of sorts. Um, so those are the prizes. They they it won the, uh, what was it, the People's Choice Midnight Madness Award. That's what they're calling it. That yes, was for Bodied. For Bodied. And uh, the runners-up there were the Disaster Artist and Brawl in Cell Block 99. The winner, of course, uh, as we spoke about, was the Martin Madonna's Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, starring Francis McDormand. Now, Mike, um, our second part of our festival chatter is New York Film Festival. We glazed over this last week because we had so much to talk about. Um, So do you want to tell us anything about New York Film Festival? It's the 55th annual New York Film Festival, and it runs from the 28th of September to the 15th of October. So it overlaps with London Film Festival for its entirety. Uh, anything that's on there? Uh, well, there is uh, streaming service dominance to a degree at, at this year's New York. And what Film do you mean Festival. by that? Uh, so a lot of the films that are the 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 large pieces, the 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 big sort of ticket numbers. So the opening night is uh, Last Flag Flying by Richard Linklater. We mentioned it last oh, week, starring Larry Fishburne. Indeed, um, the centerpiece is Wonderstruck by Todd Haynes. Okay, which we once again talked about last week, the new uh, Todd Haynes film with Julianne Moore. Uh, there's also the Mayorowitz stories, which is the new film from Noah Baumbach. Which is going straight onto Netflix as well. And uh, Mudbound from Dee Reese. Which and, is and another Netflix film. Yeah, all, all of these are uh, either Amazon or Netflix produced. Wow. And they're uh, and quite prestigious names and big, big, big talents, talents. You know, big directors, big name directors even, who are clearly finding something with the streaming services that they aren't necessarily getting with the studios. This is in complete direct opposition to what was said at Cannes this year, where there was a lot of feedback from certain people within the industry. And I think they brought in a knee-jerk rule, didn't they, regarding the the cinema release of certain films, because uh, Okja... Okja, yeah. Yeah, the... uh, I'm Bong Joon-ho. Bong Joon-ho, there we go. The names are a different way around when you say it in the original yes. language. So so, so Joon-ho Bong would be the anglicised version. Bong Joon-ho is the original Korean. I mean, not the original because no, I'm probably not. horribly mispronouncing it. Thank you to our Korean experts over on the table there. So Netflix were seen as people, uh, I don't know, trying to invade cinematic space at Cannes this year, but New York Film Festival's absolutely relishing it seems to be i i think that possibly is is indicative of the 
the view of 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 those at Cannes, it's it's a little bit more pretentious. Maybe they're they're the sort of the people who take it very seriously. Sure, but these are all and, English uh, language films we're talking about here. And at Cannes, that's there's much more of a spread of international language that's being used. I think that from what I can see, Netflix and Amazon are very much services steeped in the English language. So there are some foreign language elements on there, but primarily their audience is English speaking. I think that's fair. And I think because this is the New York Film Festival and because those companies are based in the USA, Netflix and Amazon are, no brainer really is the fact that they're supporting uh, homegrown talent from their country, which is great because, you know... As much as we take down the Hollywood system and say, oh, everything's Hollywood and everything's, you know, mass marketed. American cinema is is not exclusively Hollywood. No, absolutely not. And these are films, I would say they are big releases, but I would say they sit on the outer edge of commercial films. Yeah, they're more auteur driven. Yeah, they're not your Transformers or, or, or whatever it may be. The cash cows that you expect, you know, these are serious films with serious people behind them now mudbound is one of the films i'm really looking forward to seeing in that sort of well you tell me about mudbound how much well, do you know about uh it? 1920s 30s set so it's the depression era uh or possibly later because it's they two men come back from war and find a friendship that crosses the racial divides that exist in the country at the time the country being america okay and this is directed by d reese and uh it's already queued up to go onto netflix quite soon i can't remember the exact date but it's it's bound to go onto netflix quite soon after well, it's I, I played think the same is true of mayorowitz stories is, is not far from netflix either okay and i this is the trait that actually happened at london film festival not too long ago where it was the film the beasts of no nation with idris elba which is about child war soldiers uh, in africa and a brutal story, a really harrowing tale of uh, the journey of a child into one of these child soldiers being controlled. And it went dropped onto Netflix like a couple of days after I saw it at uh, the festival. Slightly annoying, but <laughs> I should have checked my dates, really. But it's great. You, you won't get to see that sort of thing on a big screen like that, perhaps ever again. So it's always good to see those things on a large screen, I feel. Well, it's also ones that might be trickier to track down on dvd that don't often get the same releases to to home entertainment if they're available to watch on netflix i i only see that as a good thing it's it's increasing the audience it's getting out to more people than it would otherwise so that is new york film festival and then sounding like an old bell that's been rung a few times we mentioned london film festival it's only because we're going and because we i have such a love for it mike's very excited about it yeah chomping up the bit we're going to be there in a few weeks time we want to bring you some previews if you're near london we would like you to perhaps take an interest in some of the films that we're talking about maybe it might tempt you to go and see a few of them and we're going to be talking about some of the films that have sort of caught our eye. I'm going to be talking about a couple of the new additions in a minute. And Mike's going to be going into a few that he's going to be seeing uh, while uh, we are in attendance at the festival. And your time at the festival, I believe, may extend, Mike. Uh, uh, it, it possibly might. I'm, I'm looking into my options and hopefully trying to catch as many films as I can, which might have gone up from just one day's worth okay but it's 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 uncertain at the moment i don't want to say too no, much no don't 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 jump the gun on that one so today the uh, new additions were announced 
to the London Film Festival and a couple of real standout ones. In the thrill section, uh, there's a film called Manhunt, uh, which is John Woo's newest film. And Mike's already smiling at me. Yeah, uh, who's not a John Woo fan? Who doesn't like seeing two guns shot in slow motion while doves fly through the air? Once again, this is another police thriller film uh, playing to what he does best. His strengths. Yep, and I love Hard Boiled. That's a film I will go back and watch many a time over and still be thoroughly entertained. The the baby rescue scene, scene is just amazing. It's it, ridiculous. It's really, really absent in um, sort of our uh, people that are younger than us that people are not really going back into that um, sort of Chinese slash Japanese. Well, it's, it, the the Hong Kong, film. the yeah. Hong Kong sort of action yeah. boom, I, I think is something that more people should be aware of. It's had a large influence on the the action films in the Western world. They, they certainly have. You look at films like The Matrix, uh, takes large slabs out of uh, John Woo films, in fact. <laughs> Infernal Affairs, which was remade. Into uh, the Departed. Into the Departed. A, a lot less gunplay, I have to say, but still, still great adaptation. No, I don't think anyone wanted an, an exact replica of the original film. There are lots and lots of films that have come out of the Hong Kong scene. Uh, I'd love to see people get involved with that, especially younger people sort of going back in and looking at some of the what excited us, you know, where where Jackie Chan sort of emerged from and why we got excited, why Jackie Chan is such a cultural icon from where he comes from, representing a whole nation of um, action thrilling films. Uh, Chow Yun Fat, another one. Chow Yun Fat, uh, hero? Yes. Um, so, it, yeah, I think he just he doesn't quite get the recognition that he deserves for the, the amazing work he was doing in those films. And another film that's been added to the London Film Festival. This is a documentary. It's going into the debate strand. It's by Alex Gibney. Have you heard of Alex Gibney, Mike? Uh, yes, I, I believe I know some of his previous work. I haven't actually seen any, but he did a documentary on Scientology, didn't he? Yeah, that was the one that gave him the most traction, I think. It got released in the UK. It was all about uncovering the cult of Scientology. And it was called Scientology and the Prison of Belief, uh, Going Clear, was the sort of heading title to that. That was from 2015. His new film concerns a murder case and this is centering around northern ireland specifically a 1994 massacre that occurred around i I guess the troubles here in northern ireland the the religious conflicts that go on and uh, so this is a non-fiction murder mystery and no stone unturned is what it's called and he goes back and looks at some of the evidence for that case and with a view to perhaps with the passage of time to come up with some conclusions or set forth some answers for the viewer to take away with them and consider. It's not something that he's a stranger to. He turned up at London Film Festival a few years ago, 2012, and did a film called Maya Maxima Culpa, Silence in the House of God, which won the Best Documentary Prize that year. And that was all about uncovering abuse within the Catholic Church and that went all the way up to the Vatican. So quite an investigative sort of chap. In yeah, terms he's, of he's clearly got the chops. He has. Now, those are the couple of editions that have stood out to us uh, that have been announced today. Mike, you wanted to talk about a couple of the films that you're going to be seeing at uh, London. Yes, I did. Uh, one that was uh, mentioned on the, the last episode of the podcast, I, I think I actually got the title slightly wrong. I had it as Thoroughbred when it is actually Thoroughbreds. Uh, and the reason I'm bringing it up again is because last time I didn't, unfortunately, shamefully, know the name of the first-time writer-director, who I will give his full props to this time, is uh, Corey Finley. 
So first time writer director, he is the the impetus behind this film. Uh, it stars Anya Taylor Joy, Olivia Cook, and Anton Yelchin. What, um, what, a, what? So Anton Yelchin just before this was his final. This is, role? I believe it's one of the final final films. I'm not sure if it's exactly, but he was he was quite a prolific actor. He worked sure. on a lot of things. So we're just starting to get the sort of the the few last films that that he made before he sadly passed away. Indeed, um, and so it's uh, the story of two. Teenage girls in suburban Connecticut who rekindle their unlikely friendship after growing apart. In the process, they learn that neither is exactly what she appears to be. And so it's it's one I'm very excited for. Okay, so thoroughbreds. Thoroughbreds, yes. I think I, I said thoroughbred. I thought it was thoroughbreds. Pluralised. Plural. The, the plural may have been added recently. <laughs> it, it may... Okay, so... <laughs> right, thoroughbreds. Uh, uh, I'm seeing that with Mike on uh, the Wednesday night, midway through London. So uh, what was the other film? Uh, well, an- another one would have been Brawl in Cellbox 99, but I believe we, we've already, we already quite covered comprehensively covered film. that. Yeah. Uh, so the other one would be uh, Gemini, which is written and directed by Aaron Katz. Uh, not a first-timer, but I haven't seen anything that he's made before, but I'm intrigued by the concept. It's a, a heinous crime uh-huh. tests the complex relationship between a tenacious personal assistant and her Hollywood starlet boss. And it's an L.A. set neo-noir, which is really in my wheelhouse. Um, that that my, my kind of films, as I mentioned, Brick is up there as one of my all-time favourites. Old Boy is another. Sure. Uh, it stars Lola Kirk. Lola Kirk. Okay. Uh, Zoe Kravitz and John Cho. I saw... Now, Zoe Kravitz is everywhere at the moment, isn't she? She's putting in a lot of work, yes. I can't remember the last time I saw her, but she's... We've spoken about this before. A lot of actors are quite chameleonic in their role, and she is another actor that manages to dissolve into her roles, and she's always different wherever I see her. Uh, Well, yes, obviously, um, she was in the X-Men, Days of Future Past. Mm -hmm. She was in Mad Uh, Max. She was one of the wives in Mad Max, which I think, to To put those two Mm -hmm. together, you, you wouldn't think they're the same person necessarily but because like you say she does sort of disappear into the roles but she does it so well and the other film that i particularly wanted to touch on mike was lucky now i was indeed lucky to have picked up a ticket for this film now this is going to be the last film from harry dean stanton who we talked about who sadly passed away this week and he was still acting up until his last days. He was in the last season of uh, Twin, Twin Peaks, Peaks, the new one. New one. And he's also in the debut film from John Carroll Lynch. Now, if that name is familiar to you, John Carroll Lynch is a very familiar face to me. Uh, he's been in pretty much every. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> there we are. Mike's just seen a photo of John <laughs> Carroll Lynch and immediately gone. Oh yes, I recognise him from. <laughs> countless films yeah he's been in if you name a film that he's been in mike uh, anything that people might have seen him in uh, shutter island yep zodiac's one of them gran torino crazy, crazy stupid, stupid love yeah there are tons of them john carroll lynch very well-known screen present maybe not a leading man character actor it's, it's one of those where they they almost need that that prefix to their name because that is entirely who they are you you might not know their name but you definitely know their face yeah like miriam margolis yeah a great example <laughs> uh there's a, a bojack horseman joke as well <laughs> so uh yeah lucky is uh, john carroll lynch's debut film it stars harry dean stanton uh, sadly in his last acting role and it is the spiritual journey of a 90 year old atheist it seems like a sort of fantasy dreamlike reality about it uh it's quite a short film 
And I kind of dig that. It's a, it's goes outside of the studio sort of narrative where you've got a clear beginning, middle, and an end. And it seems very experimental. I'm I'm fully on board for him. I you know I happily watched Harry Dean Stanton walking in Paris, Texas <laughs> for like a good half an hour to forty five minutes at the start of that film. And once you happy to watch him walk some more, yeah, all over all over the USA, I could <laughs> I could watch him for an hour and twenty eight. So I'll be I'll be I'll be watching Lucky, and I think a lot of people would have snapped up tickets for that particular film at London Film Festival this year on the back of sadly. Harry Dean Stanton passing away. So that is our festival news. We've covered an awful lot. We've There's also- a lot to be excited about. We're trying to do as much of it as we can, but there is just too much almost. Uh, we think you deserve a break. Here's some words from our friends. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. On top of our main show, every Friday, you can also hear our extra film podcasts. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Listen to the In Session Film Podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, <laughs> sir. They were a couple of our friends there. That's JD and Brendan from the brilliant In Session Film Podcast. Once again, a couple of guys that I really enjoy. Have you heard heard the In Session Film Podcast, Mike? Is that one? Uh, I've heard I've heard one or two. It's it's not one I've subscribed to as of yet, but I, I think I will be. They are great guys, and they cover most of the newer films and also some of the fringe releases as well, which is nice to to hear on podcasts and always chasing the latest marvel film or whatever the big releases that yeah trying trying to get the big releases yeah it's it's nice to hear that they actually go into the fringe stuff they did some retrospectives as well really really nice guys jd there um surviving the hurricane i believe in florida he was affected so um glad to see you're okay jd and you came out the other side of it and you're still there podcasting for everyone's pleasure now it is time for the UK box office top 10 countdown. It is that time of the show where we will be counting down the films from 10 to 1. And this week, uh, we've got a little bit of a jump on uh, the rest of the world in the sense that uh, we'll be able to tell you what did the top 10 for the weekend that's just gone. So we, our time span is from the 15th uh, to the 17th, Friday to Sunday of the weekend just past. And uh, we're going to go straight in there. So at number 10, it is Despicable Me 3. Uh, the Minions grew the crew are all back together. Kirsten Wig and Steve Carell topping up their coffers in another sequel to this very popular franchise. It has been in the UK top 10 for an astounding 12 weeks, taking £46 million. Some legs it's got on it. It has, and uh, it's clearly done its work over the summer for all the kids to enjoy. Number nine. Wind River, I caught this one, Mike. It is a mystery film set in the middle of nowhere involving Native Americans with one of the Olsons. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen. Elizabeth. It's, it's an important distinction to make as... Sh- 
Not yeah. to knock the other Olsons, but you for me, she's the talented one. The very talented one who was in, and this is another one I get the words muddled up. Martha Marcy May Marlene. Thank you for the correct... Rather rehearsed, I think. <laughs> you, can you tell I've practiced that? And also Jeremy Renner, who's having a... Rem, Rene, 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 Rene Renaissance. <laughs> That's awful, I apologise. <laughs> um, uh, Wind River managed to crawl in there at number nine for the second week. Uh, it's a great film in the series of films that we talked about as being frontier films yeah it's uh, taylor sheridan Ter- who's the writer director who also wrote sicario and hell or high water and i think this is a great addition to that trilogy number eight it's dunkirk i see some cinemas are actually getting this back again this week wow uh, after dipping out this uh, such a lack of content in cinemas to get people to go and to, to keep them coming in yeah, and, and they're watching bring, stuff they're bringing back just dunkirk. put dunkirk back on it's that good <laughs> um dunkirk's still holding on there for the ninth week in at number eight uh we've said pretty much all that we wanted to say on it go and see it big screen big yeah. sound do it number seven american made this has had a we fall from grace uh four weeks it's doing okay it's the tall tale of a, a airline pilot played by tom cruise tom cruise does what tom cruise does best it's an action film he, he get, runs a lot he gets to f- flop his hair over fly be in planes while they do crazy things that's that's his wheelhouse and, and it's directed by doug lehman and a very competent director who's worked with Tom Cruise before in The Edge of Tomorrow, and I believe is signed up to do the sequel whenever that may happen. Yes. And we're very much looking forward to it. Number six. The Jungle Bunch. Give me something, Mike. It's an animated film uh, based off of a a series, I believe. I think French. I think it is Um, French, yeah. But it's, it's not one that really appealed to me in any kind of way. There are some kids' films that are just brilliant these days that that go above and beyond what a kids film should be capable of it didn't necessarily look like one of them to me in in a week where there's not an awful lot of children's product out there uh it's gone in as in its first weekend at number six to quite a few cinemas i have to say it's an unknown quantity i don't think there's been a great marketing campaign around it having said that i don't watch children's television i don't know what children are exposed to i I haven't seen it on the side of any buses though or any billboards for it anything like that i've not seen it down the side of any websites or anything at all exactly um i think it's got a very good cast list i want to say that john lithgow does one of the voices i i'm not sure because he's not credited on the imdb listing i think it's one where it's it's a lot easier to get a good voice cast because it's it's less work essentially you're just you put in a few hours in a recording studio and you've done a film and well talking of which number five the emoji movie Uh, we sang the praises of Patrick Stewart, one of the voices in the Emoji movie, as a talking poop. Yeah, cash that paycheck, buddy. Cash that paycheck. And uh, the lead is by, uh, by TJ Miller. Yes, who I think is a very funny man. Brilliant in Silicon Valley. He is great in Deadpool. He has stolen the show in a lot of films in a smaller role for me, but is not enough to make me watch that. Number four. American Assassin. Now, this is uh, it's a high-rated film. It's an 18-rated film over in the UK. Which is odd, because it seemed like it was going for that tween market. Yeah, the sort of 15-12 market. It's based on a best-selling novel, Time's bestseller, 
it's quite revered by people who have read the source material. They're very much looking forward to seeing this being brought to screen. I want to say, I don't know the lead name of the chap who's in this. Uh, Dylan O'Brien. Dylan O'Brien. Who I do actually think is quite a competent actor, but... Okay, well, he was in The Maze Runner. That's where I've seen him before. And his villainous foil is Michael Keaton. Yeah, who who doesn't want to see Michael? Like, that's the one thing about it that tempts me in, to be honest. It's something to do with a terrorist action at a beach and His girlfriend is 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 killed. This is this isn't a spoiler, this is the sort of thing that okay. they, they talk about. It's it's the setup. His girlfriend is killed in a terrorist attack, and so he starts to train himself to get back at the terrorists. Uh this captures the attention of the CIA who he starts to train with. I believe Michael Keaton works for the CIA and, and trains, weirdly, um, young disillusioned males and, and radicalises them, which seems a, a little on the nose for me. But mm, I can't see any parallels in the real world with that one. <laughs> also has a ridiculous ending, uh, of which I haven't seen, but someone told me about earlier on today. And when I mean ridiculous, I mean ridiculous. Number three. It's Mother, and that's the... Th- first weekend of its release the new aronofsky film that we're going to be talking about a bit later on i think jennifer lawrence being in your film gets a certain amount of people through the doors it's her first film with uh, paramount as a studio uh, it's gone to quite a few cinemas 465 across the uk uh, it's not taken a great amount of money <laughs> to be expected it's a high rated film once again it's an 18 rated film if you're not from Which the uk does close the doors to a lot of people it does if you're it's not from the nc17 uh, yeah it, which kills films in the usa i think american film ratings and this is something i'd want to discuss in a later podcast episode film ratings in america are much more lenient uh, they're much more lenient towards violence particularly i've tend to find that they clamp up a lot on sex and sexuality. Uh, Mother is an 18 rated film. So anyone who is below the age of 18 cannot see this film, regardless whether it's with a parent, parent or, or, or a guardian. Or they have a note from their doctor or anything <laughs> like that. It's, age restrictions are a hard yeah, that, s- sort of rating. Um, we have a, quite a few in the UK. Uh, the equivalent of a... 18 rating I, I it's not really an nc17 but i guess that's yeah, the, i suppose what, r r is more the the 18 rating but you can't go in with a parent or guardian which you can with an r-rated film uh we have a 15 which you have to be 15 years of age or older you cannot once again go in with a parent or guardian with you have to be that age or above and we have a 12a rating that's an advisory rating so you can go in below the age of 12 as long as you have a parent or guardian with you over the age of 18 who can accompany you to see that film so there's a little uh, quick swizz around our age ratings in the uk if you're not familiar with them number two victoria and abdul I, I went on a bit of a rant this weekend on twitter around the representation of uh, indian characters and indian cinema within the uk i, I tied in with viceroy house and, and others I, I i saw the rant i enjoyed the rant um it's, it's a lot of people seem to have agreed with me i would have liked to have seen some people disagree with me 
much to my chagrin, my parents went to go and see Victoria and Abdul on Friday night. <laughs> and uh, I, I could give you a review uh, if I could get my phone to hand at some point. But the gist of it was that they thoroughly enjoyed it. My dad thought it was very funny. Uh, my mum lo- lo- likes Judy Dench. I love Judy Dench, by the way. I, I really do. There's just something about her. Dame. You know, you don't get to be a dame for nothing. No, Dame Judy Dench is just absolutely brilliant. I, I I think that the way she embodies the character of Queen Victoria for the second time, which she played in Mrs. Brown. With uh, Billy, Billy Connolly. Billy Connolly. Uh, this time, I think her sort of other f- comedic foil is Eddie Izzard in this film. And Who's playing her son. Her son. Uh, Ali Faisal is her, the titular Abdul. Uh, it's the first weekend. It's done very, very well. It's a PG rated film. It's hitting that older audience, something that's not always catered to. I think the last film that catered to this kind of audience is probably Dunkirk to an extent, which had much more of a universal appeal. To yeah, it. It, it hit on all fronts. Um, and it's, it's done the business this week and it's taken nearly £2 million. And. Number one. It is it. It, in the, <laughs> it is it. In the second week, it is top of the chart. It. Can I say it anymore? <laughs> it is at the most amount of cinemas I can see, 605 across the UK. Uh, it has taken cumulatively in its two weeks just over £21 million which is a huge haul. For a, especially for a horror film. For a horror film, it's a 15-rated film. Uh, once again, precludes anyone below that age group. Uh, it is a reimagining, a remake of sorts, because the original was a TV movie based on the Stephen King novel, and that's not always a recipe for success, as we saw the month before with The Dark Tower getting particularly poor reception with people who enjoyed the books. And, and people who had never heard, heard of, of it books, before still not liking the film. Probably not ever going to pick up a Dark Tower book, which is, I think, a sad thing because I think the books are held in, in a high regard they, as well. They are, in my opinion, you, Stephen Have you read King's. some, Mike? I, I've read all of them. And, and like right. I say, in my opinion, Stephen King's masterpieces. Okay. Uh, have you seen It yet? I haven't got the chance yet. It, it's okay. one I'm going to try and get to the cinema, uh, if not the rest of this week next week well may i suggest that i have done a wonderful review of it that doesn't spoil anything that is on filmseekers.com there are some reviews of some of the films we've discussed today on filmseekers.com have a look at them have a read i tend not to write in a way that will spoil things um, um I, as you've said it, it's part of the remit of film seekers is to to not spoiler to to give you enough to make you interested to see the film but not give you too much so that you don't need to see the film Exactly. Which I think some I, reviews are guilty of. Do you just want to write my reviews for me, right? That was precisely put. That's exactly what we're here for. Um, so that was the box office top 10. We're going to take another quick break now uh, and we'll be back to talk about our main feature film, which is Darren Aronofsky's Mother after these quick words. Hey everyone, I'm Jason Michael. And I'm Lee Brady. And we're the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast. We're a podcast that looks to analyze what makes films great with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh. New releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. You can find the Atlantic Screen Connection podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio. And if you're looking for a more direct approach, you can find us on Twitter. Just look for Jason Michael at Atlantic SC and Lee Brady at Big Pick Reviews. A couple of guys there we mentioned at the top of the show did a review of Upstream Colour in their latest podcast. 
And now, it's time for our main feature film. And this is where we're going to be discussing the latest film from Darren Aronofsky. It is Mother, starring Javier Bardem, Ed Harris, Michelle Pfeiffer and Jennifer Lawrence. How could I forget her? (laughs) So we're now going to play you a clip from Mother. Mike, if you want to tee this one up. Uh, Yes, so this is a clip featuring uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as woman and uh, Jennifer Lawrence as mother. Uh, It is a clip of a conversation between the two of them quite early on. Why don't you want kids? Excuse me? (laughs) You know, you're not going to be so young forever. Have kids. Then you'll be creating something together. That's what keeps the marriage going. This this is all just setting. Oh, you do want them. Quite an enticing clip there from Mother. Uh, Quite seductive, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Michelle Pfeiffer. It is. She is. She's very seductive. Very sensual in this film. It's it's a great performance. Well, let's give you the one-liner as to what happens in Mother. So it is a story of a couple who live a very secluded life in a idyllic countryside house. Uh, the wife is played by Jennifer Lawrence and the husband is played by Javier Bardem. Now, he is a poet, a well-renowned poet, it turns out to be, who is having a bit of writer's block at this moment in time. And Jennifer Lawrence is the mother of the house and she, her job is to be a dutiful wife, to, for the most part she's quite caring quite doting and one night they get a knock at the door as they're settling into bed together and it is ed harris who is seeking refuge for the night because he thought that the house was a b and b a bed and breakfast so under false pretenses he enters the house and from there on in several other characters then invade this house and invade the personal space of jennifer lawrence's idyllic home uh her territory it's going to be extremely difficult for us to talk about this without going into some of the plot details so if you haven't seen it yet um it's not going to be a film that we can talk about without spoiling to an extent i I think detroit you could you could get away with having not seen the film the discussion we had where like you say this this film it it once the plot gets going it's just so layered and so dense that you you can't help but touch on some things that could be considered spoilers so have a look on our notes on the podcast page and you will be able to see the time of which you will, you can dip back into this conversation without spoiling the film for you. Uh, so we will have spoilers as we go along here. So the story being, as we said, the this house gets invaded by several guests over the course of the film, uh, instigated by the arrival of Ed Harris's character one night, quite late at night. And from there on, he invites his wife in the next day and then we get the sons turn up. And then there's more people, friends of the family, get get dragged in. And, 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 and it becomes a chaotic scene where there are a huge amount of people just wrecking this house that Jennifer Lawrence has been looking after for so long, it seems. Uh, you know, as this wife that's been seeing this poet... Uh, for, for many years, uh, and she gets incre- incredibly frustrated that people are encroaching on her territory. The the house that she has sort of lovingly um, renovated, it's a, a lot of work has, has been poured 
by her into this house that is then starting to be um, destroyed. And, and that's one of the interesting ways that you can read the film for me. Aronofsky's not a stranger to this sort of film. He plays with magic reality quite a lot, magic realism, I should say. Uh, we look at his previous works, including... Uh, we talked about Requiem for a Dream last week, which was um, probably one of his one of his earlier works. earlier works, alongside Pi, which was his breakout film. Most recently, he did Swan. I was going to say Swan Black Lake. Swan. Black Swan. Black Swan. It's, it's heavily related to Swan, Swan Lake. Lake. That's an understandable. Um, but the, the the film I think this kind of ties into is probably The Fountain, which came out in two thousand and six, uh, which also had themes of magic realism. Uh, starring Rachel Weiss and Hugh Jackman in uh, a very confusing tale if you wanted to read it as a straight narrative. Very, very layered. It's a film that I definitely, definitely need to go back and re-watch. I think as an older person, slightly more cine-literate, wiser, can understand symbolism uh, a lot more. I'm not the smartest of people. I do try, though. And I would love to go back and revisit The Fountain to see whether there are things that I can pick up on this time, especially in light of having seen Mother and understood a lot more than what I thought I would understand. Uh, it's a, as you said, it's a heavily layered film, lots of allegorical references. And in fact, Darren Aronofsky has come out, the director's come out and the writer, sorry, I should say. He wrote this over the course of five insomnia filled like, nights. Is the, uh, Yeah, a, a fever dream is, a, is how he put it. A fever. Which is quite a good phrase. Dream. He has come out and openly said what the film means uh, to him as him being the author of the piece and if i will read this verbatim to you uh, there are completely biblical elements that i'm surprised some people are really picking up on uh, immediately other people have no clue and i think that's just how people are brought up but that was the structure of the film the bible using that as a way of discussing how humans have lived here on earth it was meant to be sort of ambiguous because that's not really a story it's more of a structural thing a lot of people aren't picking up on all of it there are lots of little things and easter eggs and how things connect and i think that's the fun of unpacking the movie he then goes on to say i I sort of wanted to tell the story of mother nature from her point of view so the environmental metaphor crowd isn't far off either and he kind of pushes back against this conflation of him being represented by Javier Bardem as being the creator, the artist. As someone involved in the creative industry, the same is true of the poet or any poet. But also the interesting thing this time is uh, it's almost a meta-narrative because Jennifer Lawrence, and I think it's significant to say we don't normally go into this sort of territory. I wouldn't want to speculate on people's relationships, but it's it's significant to say that um, Jennifer Lawrence is the real-life partner of... Aronofsky. Uh, Um, There's, as far as I'm aware, a similar age difference between them as there is between her character and Javier Bardem's character. For the art and the artist to be confused between the two, I think you've got to read in a little bit of he's he's injected himself into this film a little bit more than perhaps he wants to give away. Yeah, perhaps even unknowingly, it could be a subconscious uh, thing. 
he goes on to say that you've got to take a ride on it. Uh, You're going to try and resist it. And uh, if you try and resist it, you're not going to have a good time. This film has been what people are terming as a polarising film. (laughs) Very divisive. I think that's a fair (laughs) fair assessment. Um, It was released into US cinemas this weekend, Just Gone, and it attained the elusive F rating. Uh, on on the cinema score cinema score now do you know about cinema score yeah it's something that i'm aware of it's uh, when you come out of a film on the opening weekend and they ask you to score it yeah and that's people's immediate reactions to the film and so it's one that superhero films often skew quite well on cinema score as the opening weekend will be the diehard fans that are coming out to watch it whereas something like this where it is more of an unknown i think that has has worked against it to a degree i think it has and um something that you're experiencing at the moment it's mother is a film which i think you need to sit and marinate on a little bit Uh, yeah i i saw the film last night um and coming out of the cinema i i used to work at the cinema where i watched it so i i knew the people who were working and so when they asked me how i felt about the film I wasn't entirely able to articulate that to them. I still, at that point, wasn't entirely sure how I felt or what I thought of it. As it's it's settled a bit more, I've I'm, I've got a better grasp of it. But it's almost I I almost wish I had a bit more distance. I I wish we were doing this maybe a week later, or that I'd gotten to watch the film again just to see what more I was picking up on second time around because it's a very visceral thrill ride. It, it really takes you and drags you along with it whether you want to or not there's there's not much time to to breathe to to take a step back from it now you can read my review up on filmseekers.com a film that's using a lot of allegorical references metaphorical references biblical references i used a metaphor myself in my review which is it it is a roller coaster ride and as cliched as that term is once again you're strapped into it you cannot escape it you go up and get the tension gets ratcheted to a point and then you get that big drop towards the end where everything goes into absolute pandemonium and i took a thrill from that drop but other people you know may not have liked it they may have been not scared but i'm, I'm stretching the metaphor here a little bit too far but um might have been disgusted by it. now it's it's flopped in the states it went into 2368 different screens and it opened with a very, very poorly uh, $7.5 million. If we contrast that with it, uh, the weekend take for it in the States was $60 million. It's quite a difference there. That's, yeah, quite a wide gap there. But it's one where I, I think it has, has an easier job. It's, it's a known quantity. It's a pre-existing property. It's more traditional horror it's a creepy clown it's it doesn't have anything significant to say either and as damning as i think that that is it doesn't have metaphorical biblical allegorical references it is a straight story beginning middle end done having not seen it 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 does seem to be one that it's built a lot more around nostalgia for the 80s that that sort of that time that period the the films that came out i think of you know were clearly an influence on the director and so he is bringing that to his film but beyond that that there's probably not a deeper meaning where there really is with mother not to be horrible to audiences but there's there are 
two very distinct audiences for the two films we're discussing at the moment. Mother, I think, is much more of a thinking film, um, someone who wants to invest that time to uh, decipher, decode all of the things that uh, constituent elements that are in film. Uh, and whereas it, you can sit back, turn your head off, and you understand everything that's being laid out before you. I, I don't. I I think that for me, the, the fault probably lies at the marketers. I understand that thirty million dollars was spent on the budget of this film, and it does show. And uh, they they need to recoup it. Um, so it was marketed as a mass audience horror, which I think is completely unrepresentative of the film. Uh, it's a deception of sorts. And audiences have reacted. Did anyone walk out of your screening? At uh, no, there were there were only about 10 of us. It was a Sunday night, so okay. it wasn't too busy. But everyone stayed for the duration of the film. Um, however, uh, when the credits rolled, everyone else got up straight away and was out the doors where i had to sit there I, I i couldn't i couldn't stand up i couldn't go and face the outside world that quickly i just needed a bit of decompression time a big breath in yeah which i i, I think does sort of show that it, it certainly affected me in a way that it probably didn't for the others now there was a little bit of clickbait that was sort of hovering around the internet today i don't know if you saw this mike I, yeah i did come across it on twitter a couple times uh, culprits being the hollywood reporter take everything they say with a pinch of salt but uh, people have retweeted it everywhere and the quote from their article was if you need to google search the meaning of a movie when you get home it was a failure which i think is just a, a quite massive misunderstanding of of how cinema it's it true is a populist art form but it is still an art form and anything that you have to question what it meant i think is is good art it depends what you want from a film ultimately and this is interesting in the way that we we're going to discuss the way that people view films there are some times when i'm so tired i have not the energy to invest to decipher every single meaning that are in films i don't want to know about the subtleties i just want to know a, someone reading me a story it's almost like when i was a child sat in my bed my mother would read me a story which had a very clear beginning middle end a resolution a moral to uh, take to from it. it and all the rest of it i didn't need to think about it you know i it, for me it was just like a plain old story and i think <laughs> for a lot of people and once again i'm not being snobbish about this i'm really trying not to be because people not everyone wants to think about a film at the end of the day um well, and and even to say not just because the film didn't work for someone doesn't mean that they automatically didn't think about it. That art is subjective. There is some that will work for some people that just won't for others. And so there is undoubtedly some who have given the film its its due consideration and still haven't enjoyed it. But I think there are a lot of people who, yet, yeah, like you say, have, have gone in expecting a certain thing. And when that isn't what they've got, have, have sort of taken the hump against it. And... This quote about Google searching the meaning of a movie, a bit misrepresentative. It was just one person on the website Rotten Tomatoes where the, the, the quote was culled from. Um, I think it's quite indicative that on the website, the audience score for Mother is very low, but the critic consensus is, is quite high. It's not a uh, 100%, it's not a smash out of the park, but it is clearly connecting with the critics in a way that it just isn't with an audience. And I think a part of that is, as a critic, you go into a film more willing to accept it. You go in wanting to like the film. You go in, as the name suggests, to critically and analyse a film. 
And some of us who are regular cinema goers enjoy doing that. Clearly, there is a huge market out there, which we all know about, that just want to have everything laid out on the plate for and, and there are times when when that's what i want from a film you know i am a big fan of the marvel cinematic universe i how i hold no illusions that those are you know high and high and mighty worthy films they're just good fun and sometimes that's all you want but there are other times when i i want something that's going to make me think about it i want a film that's not going to leave me alone for the next couple of days that i just can't get out of my head and for me mother has really done that it's made me contemplate person as an artist as we've spoken about earlier on just it is chock full of metaphors. And even though Aronofsky's come out and said plainly what his intent was, I think I have my own interpretation and they are equally as valid because I'm lensing this film through my own eyes and my own experience. Well, definitely. As, as the audience, it is a different experience watching the film than it is for the filmmaker watching it who has the knowledge of what they wanted to bring to it in their head. Whereas an audience, you don't go in with that typically. And so what you take from it or bring to it is just as valid as what the director thinks so let's try and pick apart some of this film as best we can uh you know from what we understand of it and what we've taken away so the home is invaded uh by lots of different characters uh, jennifer lawrence gets incredibly frustrated with people invading her home and, and her increasingly ha- agitated and and taking away the attention that she was get, trying to get from her husband who is this bohemian, big-headed poet, uh, who is also very liberal, very welcoming. And if you can... I've tried to describe this to a couple of people. If you imagine um, Javier Bardem's character, the poet character in this film, as the centrepiece, actually, rather than Jennifer Lawrence, he's got his left arm out and Jennifer Lawrence is trying to pull that for his attention and his love and everything else that a wife should get from the husband. And he's got his right hand out on the other side, and he is conflicted because these are his fans, these are people who want him because of his art and his attention. It's it's a love of a different kind. It is, but moralistically, from what we know, he should prioritise Jennifer Lawrence's character, the mother character in this film, because that is his wife, that is the, the singular bond that should transcend all bonds in life and not the uh, surface level uh, fandom that people are pulling him in. People that he's just met, this Ed Harris character, this Michelle Pfeiffer character, uh, and he fails to realise that actually he should be focusing on his left arm rather than his right arm. I hope that kind of came across. Mike can see me stretching my arms like a bird I've got quite a handy visual (laughs) metaphor. But But if you can imagine Javier Bardem with his arms spread uh, out plain, then you can kind of get that sort of idea uh, going on. So that was the way that I kind of took that uh, symbolism of mother and the central character. But there's there's a huge amount of uh, other symbolism going in there. There's lots of biblical references. Um, I, I picked up on... Cain and Abel suddenly arrive. The, the, the two sons. So yep. Michelle Pfeiffer and Ed Harris's sons suddenly appear out of nowhere arguing over uh, the inheritance. It's, it's, yeah, it's over inheritance, it's over money. Um, what could be seen as a more trivial matter. So Ed Harris's character is suffering from some sort of cough uh, that's perhaps maybe cancer. or it, It's not fully explained, but, but we are told that it is fatal. It's fatal. It, it, he is dying and he's not got much time left. And so his two sons 
guns turn up to this house, uh, come barging in, bickering away, and demand that they have rights to their father's inheritance. This fight then culminates in one of them bashing the other one over the head, fatally in the end. And that is almost the exact story of Cain and Abel from the Bible. So once again, Aronofsky is wearing his biblical references on his arm. Much of the fact that he did Noah as his last a, film. A clear biblical <laughs> reference there. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's no qualms about that at all. So I, I think there's an awful lot going on in this film in terms of his love for scripture. Uh, well, yeah, there was there was a few other points that I thought um, definitely hit on that. I, I saw, if you read uh, The Sons as Cain and Abel, you can to a degree read uh, Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer's characters as Adam and Eve, as the first people. Uh, one of the sort of, one of the interpretations I took from it was um, I had J-Law... Uh, sorry, Jennifer Lawrence. That's that's awful. <laughs> that is awful. Um, but I had her as as Gaia, Mother Earth, sort of personified. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and you can read Javier Bardem then as a monotheistic religion. And so, yeah, Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer are Adam and Eve. The sons, who brilliantly are played by real life brothers. Donal and Brian, Brian. Gleeson. Mm. Um, then there is also a moment uh, quite late on where uh, we've already said spoilers, but yeah, just to yeah. just to reiterate, there is symbolism. There is a, a metaphor to do with the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, which is the where you eat the the wafer and drink the the, blood the wine. So Christ. yeah, you are eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. Okay. Uh, you are essentially imbibing, ingesting divinity. I know the exact and scene so you're talking about. And so obviously there is the moment where that happens, which is very shocking when you see it, but when you put it into that context... Of course, but why aren't people shocked about the fact that we, at the Eucharist, you eat the body of Christ and you drink the blood of Christ? You know, in itself, if you you, I know it's symbolic and everything else. It's not actually blood, it's wine and But wafer. if you said to someone, oh yeah, as part of our religious ceremony, we eat the body of someone and drink, you know. Our that's, deity. Yeah, that that's cannibalism. <laughs> there's, sort of, there's no way around that. No, of course not. Yeah, that's a brilliant point, Mike. I'd, I'd, I'd never really sort of thought about it. All I was watching at that moment was a baby crowd surfing, urinating at the same time. Um, <laughs> Which is such a bizarre... But genius. It, it entirely works and, and is, I think, a moment that really gets you on board Jennifer Lawrence's side, you know. She said in an interview that throughout watching the film you should just be saying to yourself just don't let them in just just kick them out why why are they still here why are they still here? like that is the tenor of the film mm. and and that moment really does sort of ram that point home i think that's spot on there mike there was a moment where she was uh, frequently scrubbing blood a blood stain and it, it creates a hole i i didn't quite get what that was referring to i mean it's one where i think you can read that as as to do with the the messes we've made as humanity oh, say nuclear sort of. nuclear power oh. the 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 marks we have made on the world if you think of the house mm -hmm. as serving as planet earth which i think is is one that fits into the sort of the eco parable mm. elements of it um because there's a few moments where jennifer lawrence is stood outside the house staring out into the rest of the world and for me i read those moments as humanity even though she technically for me embodied mother earth it's you're looking out at the the vast darkness of the universe and the the feelings 
of inconsequentiality that that can lead to. And so she rushes back into the house okay. to to hide on our planet, as it were, where we should at this point where we have used that many resources, resources yeah. be looking outwards if we want humanity to survive mm. past a certain point in time we have to be looking out at the universe as something less other than us we we inhabit it it is the earth is is within the universe and so the universe is another playground of a kind or or another home mm-hmm. we are constituent part of that universe and we need to be less insular perhaps uh, about it now i like the the fact that you picked up there and it's certainly the intent of aronofsky that Jennifer Lawrence's character is Mother Earth. I did a little bit of... I look at song titles quite often and they are often my tagline for some of my reviews. So I will go and look at song titles. I looked at song titles with uh, the word mother in... uh, I mean, understandably, given your DJing. (laughs) I I have a love for music, all types of music. And uh, I looked at the titles of songs with the word mother in. Now, there is a Nat King Cole song from uh, September 1953 called Mother Nature and Father Time. Ooh, that, that's good. That feeds quite well into this. It very much fits it, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. Where you could read Javier Bardem as Father, Father Time, Time with the cyclical nature of the story, of- where it starts and ends at the same point, point. with differences. Yeah. I don't really want to say what, but... Well, no, you can say it's fine. The film is cyclical in its nature, whereby there is uh, a renewal at the very start of this film, and there's a destruction at the end of which a, a renewal closes the loop, and we have a different mother figure in the next sequence, in the next loop. So it's not Jennifer Lawrence, there is a different female character. Which, again, I think feeds into the idea of Mother Earth, where... In nature, lots of the rhythms of life are very cyclical. Uh, the the crops that you think of, plants, the the life of insects, things like that, are all very cyclical and and feeding into the the wider whole. Well, if we talk about uh, crops being cyclical in their reproductive nature and the way they renew, there is a significant item which is a crystal, and I have, it's just dawned upon me that perhaps this is like a, a seed of sorts. Oh, okay. It's it's one where watching the film, I I wasn't entirely sure what to make of the crystal. It was crystal. a very pretty crystal. It, it was beautiful. I I had the occasional thought of of clarity mm-hmm. with a crystal or um, diamonds being formed under intense pressure. Okay, but I couldn't really tie those into any of the other themes or any of the other parables that were sort of going on. See, I I think this is almost like that singular atom that started the Big Bang in the beginning of the universe, and not for its destruction, but perhaps its own creation. And it is recreated at the end of this film. That is the genesis for creating a renewal of the planet. So it's almost like this this crystal represents that single atom, which then caused the Big Bang. That's a quite interesting way of reading it, I, I think. I, yeah, that's, that's I, But good. once again, this is the beauty of Mother, and this is why I enjoyed it so much, is that I don't think there is a definitive answer behind any of this. And if you can justify and rationalise your thoughts on it then you can take anything away from it. Now, we're going to play another clip from this film. This is the moment where the crystal is dropped by the house invaders. Yeah, um, Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer, or man and woman, have, have been in the house for a little bit. They've they've started to impose themselves on the 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 host and the crystal is is very important to Javier Bardem's character. It's, it's quite precious. And they go into his office and, and then... What you hear next is what follows. What 
have you done? I'm so sorry. We're both sorry. I was telling her the story. It just, just, it just fell out of my hands. We'll search and find another one, I promise. Quiet! Javier Bardem there as he saw the crystal on the ground he crushed the shards into his hands which made them bleed uh, furiously everywhere much to the shock of Jennifer Lawrence's character looking on him now what do you think about the placeholder names of all these characters that are in Mother there, there are names like Consoler, Bumbler, Philandra, Cupbearer no one has a definitive name is there any significance that you can pick well, up on this? I, I think that feeds into the the parable the metaphorical nature of the film by by not giving them as clear characters it, it makes them more archetypes. I picked up on the fact that the, I thought they were yeah definitely archetypes of different walks of life that would inhabit perhaps the Bible and modern society uh, to an extent uh, my, as i said my reviews up on filmseekers.com it doesn't spoil the film as we've done here at this moment in time but we did warn you and just want to round up our thoughts on this because we could end up talking for hours and hours and hours on this one i, I still have loads more points i, bring it I up. could try and, let's bring and it think, up well, bring it up well one of the quite interesting moments is i don't often write down um pull quotes from a film while I'm watching it, but there was one that really stood out to me is a moment when the house is starting to be torn apart by the people there and uh, Jennifer Lawrence turns to someone and sort of pleads with them, why are you doing this? And they turn, look at her and, and, and answer, it's proof we were here. And I think that really feeds into the idea of some of the things mankind has done to this planet the the massive buildings or, mm. or cities that we have built are almost just as as proof that we were here. That's that's all they sort of seek to do. Just a testament to our existence. It's it's the the vanity of of mm. mankind, mankind to, yeah. to to leave a mark that shows it's it's you know if it links with the Alien Covenant uh, quote from Byron or Shelley. That's actually oh, a yes. point of yes. it. Yes, you know the Ozymandias. Yes, um, that sort of he was this great man of his time who built these amazing things and yet all that exists of them now were ruins. Ruins, yeah. It's, it's an indictment of the human existence, isn't it? There was also the the cult of celebrity came to, to feature in it quite prominently late on. Um, also, I, I read that at points as it was organised religion. So there's a moment where man appears outside the window, startles Jennifer Lawrence, mm-hmm. and then you follow out onto the porch and there is a mass of people, the the fans of the poet. Don't you think it's a bit ridiculous that in this is set in what we can understand as being the modern, modern age. Modern age that there are fans of a poet that um, are so, uh, I don't know, so cultish. I, yeah, I did find that quite amusing. But at the same time, it's it's one way it's quite interesting as... Jennifer Lawrence, when she reads his his new piece, you see her cry, and and so it's clearly he he has talent in this field. Mm. He 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 has a work that can reduce people to tears, and I think that feeds into the art artist mm. in that that is one of the great things about art that it can move you Elicit in such a way. Responses, yeah, um, I, I I think that Aronofsky is playing with us here a little bit. 
he knows there's a certain amount of absurdity about having a celebrity poet in 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 existence i think that's right and tonally it fits the film because don't read it literally this film was i think you've got the gist of that by now <laughs> this is an absurd it goes into an absurdist piece towards the, the latter part of this film well yeah he's he sort of said in interviews that film these days is in his opinion far too literal mm. and it's it's lost the absurdist or surrealist inflections that it would often have uh, it completely has anything else that you wanted to talk about mike um it's it's one that i found quite interesting was the the sound design in the film uh, yeah i wanted to talk about um, this there's, there's really not a noticeable score or music the the soundscape of the film is both circadian rhythms so that's the the sounds of nature the mm-hmm. rhythms of nature and then the sounds of the people in the house so all diegetic so sounds diegetic sounds uh, it's the the creaks of the floorboard as someone walks across it it's people slamming doors mm. uh, and those two things kind of fight each other and i found that quite interesting as you could read that as the sounds of nature versus noise pollution, which is the sounds oh. that humanity makes. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a brilliant point. Never considered that before. I was lucky enough to see it in a theatre studio that had very very good surround sound. It felt like the way that the soundscape was created made you feel as if the house was yet another living, breathing. You know, it feeds into this thing being it uh, being mother earth and you know nature and society and everything else it's one that reminded me of crimson peak in okay. that way where the house is entirely a character, character. in and on in and of itself okay uh yeah the, the sound design was brilliant i have to say though critically speaking uh, that someone was credited with the score for this film but it's barely i never noticed the moment where the score actually came in and did anything it was very very subtle too subtle I I think that's perhaps a bit unfair. There were one or two moments where I did notice sound coming in um, when everyone arrives or starts to arrive at the house and things get quite bacchanalian. Mm. There's there's music coming in where there is a party going on and I, I, I remember noticing that music, yeah. if only because it, there hadn't been any throughout. Else. So, I, yeah, I may be being a bit unfair to you. No, I mean, the only the only thing I did notice in terms of the sound design for mother in terms of music was what we just heard at the end of that clip there where we had uh, discordant staccato violin notes being played at very rev- yeah very it, it's, it's not a melody it's it's sort of created to keep you off guard and sure. it's, it's something i really liked about the film that it did just the the camera will often spin around either jennifer lawrence or around the house and i it, it's a, it's another way of just keeping you off balance of of she's off kilter by the invasion of her home and and it puts you in that same place where you just can't quite catch yourself no i've got to go back to the technical aspects of this so we discussed the sound the camera that aronofsky puts right up into the face capturing just the eyes the nose and the mouth and the bottom of the chin not really the hair at all focused for the majority of the film on jennifer lawrence and then actually does some nice switcheroos where it goes from the viewpoint of jennifer lawrence's eyes as well at certain moments in the film and I don't know what you felt that achieved in terms of the filmmaking, in terms of keeping it close up. It, it's one I think that it does keep you firmly in her place, in, in her footsteps. You're seeing 
either you're seeing her filling the screen or you're seeing from her point of view it it keeps you on her not on her side necessarily because i think you're naturally on her side mm. where she is the voice of reason mm. here but it, it really places you in her shoes. shoes yeah i felt I, I, what i felt was that it gave you a sense of claustrophobia throughout where we were in, not only enclosed in this house but actually shut off on this viewpoint of someone who is clearly struggling with their own existence within the world that they've always inhabited that was getting their world was getting smaller and smaller and smaller by the moment as this film progressed to the point that you could empathize with the frustration and the breakdowns and my god there are some very very strong breakdowns and the the, the story goes that she ruptured uh, her diaphragm or uh, cracked a rib or something yeah, uh, i believe it's it's cracked a rib and and ripped her diaphragm from hyperventilating and i can completely believe that because yeah, it makes sense once you've seen the, the film, film but, but gives, that level of dedication yeah she gives a fantastic performance and let's talk about some of the performances here as well jennifer lawrence it's a given it's probably one of her best works i've seen on film since uh, i was gonna say i think it's her best since winter's, winter's bone, bone which was her breakout role it's very clear to me that there are more strings to uh, jennifer lawrence's bow just shame it wasn't in <laughs> the hunger games <laughs> michelle pfeiffer as well now she's been doing films on the side in the background we haven't been attuned to them. I think the last film I remember her being in was this Robert De Niro film called The Family, Luc Besson produced film. It was sort of a gangster European film. And I kind of enjoyed her in that, but she wasn't that noticeable. In here, she is absolutely show-stopping. She really swallows up the screen as this woman scorned, this older woman that is trying to educate and overtake and play with the mind, as you heard earlier on in that clip, of of Jennifer Lawrence's character she there's a mo- there's a moment where she has sex quite openly in front of her knowingly that Jennifer Lawrence is watching well, it's it's something that is very obvious in Ed Harris's and Michelle Pfeiffer's relationship there is a passion there that is clearly lacking in, in Javier Bardem's and Jennifer Lawrence's mm. props to Michelle Pfeiffer <clears throat> I think we'll next see her on the Orient Express the murder on the Orient Express which will be her next film and the I've, new film from Kenneth Branagh Kenneth yes. Branagh yes now hopefully she will be equally as impressive in that as she was in Mother I really do think that she is one of the standouts in this film yeah I, I think she steals most of the scenes that she's in anything else that you wanted to pick up in terms of performances Javier Bardem does a great job you know as always he is ever reliable as a firm figurehead to carry the film through I don't think he did anything above and beyond the call of duty in this film but he was did what was asked of him um, I thought Ed Harris was great as just a very imposing presence Mm -hmm. um once once he's sort of there he he does seem to sort of dominate the the narrative as it were he he sort of dictates where it moves and and just managed to be very off-putting without outwardly doing anything that would warrant that Mm. you know you 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 feel unease around him or in his presence but he's he's being perfectly polite you know that the, there is no reason necessarily for you to feel that way other than that it's one of those instinctual feelings it's it's an animal response of just i don't like this this feels dangerous and i don't want it and and you know that is that is a great sort of testament to to what he's what doing he can achieve yeah the performance he's putting in and i kind of want to touch on the special effects in this film that obviously they are majority um 
computer generated and there is a harrowing scene towards the end where jennifer lawrence's character is kicked several times in the head and beaten in the face quite openly and explicitly and and yeah very graphically reminded me of some of the new wave uh french films particularly there is a scene in irreversible where a male character has something done to him with a fire extinguisher but shocking nonetheless and uh, she does go through the mill towards the end of this film uh yeah it's it's one where um i i took notes during the film and i have like two pages of notes which is double what i normally have when i when i do that um and and rather tellingly i think about 90 percent of them were from the first hour and a half of the film and so once it kicks into that higher gear and mm. gets going i just couldn't take my eyes off of the screen no and you're not the only one mike we had a couple of responses from the interweb and a couple of people got in touch with us uh, via the usual s- sources so uh, we've had a couple of tweets one from andrew from the ab film review um, that is at ab film review does an excellent podcast and a website it's based uh, it's an australian film isn't it focusing on australian films so if you want to get your head into some australian films then andrew and uh his partner are ones to follow on the ab film review and he said it's aronofsky's best film deliberately pretentious and misogynistic it's a fever dream of horror essential love hate cinema i don't think i agree with the misogynistic part it's it's one i i don't but i have seen mention of and i i can to a degree understand um as you can read the the relationship between them is the that of a typical older male and younger woman and how mm. they almost feed off the the youth and vitality of the younger woman well, there is an element of of sort of uh, creative vampirism almost okay um uh, andrew's not the only person who got in touch with us uh, just one other uh, tweet that we've got time to read out today d Chia, thank you very much for getting in contact with us you're from salt lake city in utah uh, you said i like mother uh, mother was like watching mud get tracked in after mopping the floor <laughs> which i like that's very good <laughs> great little image not great little analogy there yeah um, she uh, runs the flicker to flame podcast and you can check her out on flicker to flame podcast.com she has a big review of mother on there and her thoughts yeah watching mud get tracked in after mopping the floor but this is what jennifer lawrence's character is constantly doing she's firefighting trying to maintain her home she's cleaning, cleaning up, up the messes of other people yep and people are constantly dragging this mud into her house which she is in vain trying to keep clean so i guess just to round up and once we said this before we can talk about this all evening uh, i'm not sure anyone else wants to listen to us uh, <laughs> talk about it all evening it is a film that i would like to revisit in six months time also with your knowledge mike thank you for pointing out a few things uh, to me today i'm gonna bear those in mind likewise yourself uh, there's a few things that i hadn't picked up on or hadn't interpreted in a certain way that you did and so it's 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 one of the fascinating things about this is this the range of opinion just makes talking about the film a lot more exciting than it often is where you're just both oh i really liked it and and i really liked it too there's there's a lot more here to get through we are stopping the podcast if that ever happens by the <laughs> way and i think that this is one of the best works that aronofsky's produced i have the benefit of seeing almost every single film that he has made i understand why it's divisive for other audiences i can't speak for everyone i can say that i find it very difficult to understand someone who is critically thinking that they haven't been able to take something away from this film and i've seen some reviewers that have given this absolute zero and i am thinking it's your job to be a critical thinker surely you cannot can you not see 
all of the analogies and metaphors in, in this film. I think that's fair, but but like I say, also the, there is an element of subjectivity that sure. has to come into it. I, I know Lynch, David Lynch, for example, hits for a lot of other people mm. on the same, but just doesn't for me. Right, okay. and, and and so even having rewatched Mulholland Drive recently with a more critical mind, it still just didn't work for me. Okay, and and so I I, I can see why some people or, or how some people could you have can, that response. You can appreciate the artistry behind Mulholland Drive. The technical So would you not artistry, give that? Would you not give yeah. that? Does that not Okay, I suppose, score? yeah, that probably would. I, I Yeah, I doubt do you just I would score ever it? give anything a zero. I was going to say, does, do you not score things based on the fact that uh, the artistry, even if you're not taken by the story, do you, is, is the story and the overall experience more important to you, to your final grading? Yeah, I'm not sure with that one. I did, like I say, it's, I I can't think right, of any it's sub- film. It's subjective. Isn't I can't it? think of any film though that I have scored zero. Mulholland Drive, for example, I hate, mm. but I wouldn't score it as a zero out of five. Okay. It, it, there are things there that I can appreciate, even as I don't appreciate the whole. And that's actually part of the problem for me with with Mulholland Drive that the sum of its parts don't equal the whole. Sure, but. Um- it's still like like I say that's that's not a zero rating, and, well, and so that is probably a bit unfair. Well, speaking of ratings, Mike, now is your time to give everyone else uh, your rating for this particular film. Uh, what would you like to score it? And we have a scale of five stars, as we normally do. What would you give it out of five stars, Mike? Uh, this one, I I think at this point as well, it, that is something that could change okay. with a bit more distance. But I think at this point it's a four and a half star film for me. Oh, that's incredibly high. Is that possibly one of the best films you've seen this year? Is this up with it's, God's it's, Own Country? It's up there with God's Own Country, uh, Ghost Story, and and one or two others that have just rocked my world this year. I, I As much as there's been a, a talk of a bad year for film in terms of the blockbusters, the indies, the art house, the, the mid-budget films have just been killing it for me. And I am going not quite as high. I'm going with a four on this one. Uh, I don't think it's a completely flawless film. I think the fact that there was a lack of score annoyed me because there was clearly someone involved to try and do a score and they did not set out to achieve what they were meant to do in the he first place. He got paid for the job. He should have done the paid job for kind of silence <laughs> all over the whole film. Didn't like the fact that Aronofsky came out and deliberately said what his interpretation of the film. I think it would have been much nicer for him to leave it open. My takeaway from the end part of uh, the film is that the metaphors and symbolism come too fast, too thick towards the end. You are equally struggling to breathe as much as Lawrence. I understand the reason for that, but to pick it apart during the film towards those latter parts, I, I think it's just too much. He's being too clever. It's almost arrogant. Yeah, there's such a barrage of images that you almost you can't keep up. It's rapid fire. It's like someone firing a, a machine gun. Yeah. Pick this up, decipher this, decipher this, decipher this. I guess you're not meant to, but... I'm someone who likes to pick stuff apart and like it was just too much in those last scenes for me, but I I get why it was used as a dramatic device towards the end. So for my score, I'm going to give it four stars. And that was our review for Mother. We'll be back after this final break. Hi everyone, this is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week, we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The First Time Watchers Podcast. 
as well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet, an email, or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love, movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, let's no, talk stop, about stop, this minute. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut I up. wonder shut who up. the cat can God watch. damn it, shut I up. I think that's enough. A couple of our friends there from the First Time Watchers podcast and their promotion for their brilliant show that you can download great show i feel last week i was i was too much of uh, a fan of of or too much of a fanboy of atlantic sc and i didn't perhaps give credit to the to the first time watchers guys who i do love their show it's it's great now mike there's no quiz this week as we said and you were very disappointed by that you (laughs) we will be bringing the quiz back into play in a few weeks time uh, with some of our special guests who are up for a bit of a game for a laugh uh, yeah, I think it, it would be slightly unfair on the leaderboard if I got about five cracks at it. Uh, it would be, and uh, we'd have to disqualify you. So no quiz this week. However, we do have some competition winners. Now, we ran a competition in, in conjunction with Thunderbird releasing for their brand new release, My Life as a Courgette, which is released today, which is the 18th of September. It's out there on the world on DVD and Blu-ray from all great stockists. Mike, you've done a little piece on the website regarding uh, a little bit of a synopsis and enticing people to go out and purchase that. Yeah, I was I was very fortunate to, to get to watch this film. And we have had huge amounts of responses on Twitter. A lot of people that are compers, I think that's the term, that enter in loads of competitions. and Looking for that free stuff. Yes. Yeah, all fr- about the swag. Throw, throw enough stuff at the wall and something will stick. And uh, it has stuck for a couple of people. We've picked out out of all of our Twitter entries, all of our email entries and all of our Facebook entries, we've picked out two winners. So well done to Sharon Preston from London. There is a copy of My Life as a Courgette on the way to you. And also Lemusi Duana from West Yorkshire. Well done. Well done. Congratulations. Congratulations. And thank you once again to Thunderbird releasing for our prizes. On to our home and video recommendations. Now, I will go first on this one. A couple of films that you want to check out. One from me for Netflix is First They Kill My Father. This is the latest Angelina Jolie film, uh, which she doesn't star in, but she directs. She does a lot of advocacy work for the United Nations, which is a great testament to her star power, once again, using it in a very positive light. And this is the story of uh, Lung Un, who is a five-year-old. And when the Khmer Rouge assumes power over Cambodia in 1975, they begin a four-year reign of terror and genocide and threat. And it nearly it killed nearly two million Cambodians. And so this young girl is forced from her family home in Phnom Phen. I can never pronounce that name. Yeah, no, you're not going to have a runner for that one. (laughs) Um, I'm very thick. I apologise. Ung is then trained as a child soldier uh, where her six siblings are sent to labour camps. So this has clear parallels with the film we were talking about earlier on, uh, Beast of No Nation, starring Idris Elba, but this time it is set in the Far East. Uh, It's another one that I I believe is based off of real life Life experiences. experiences. It's based Mm -hmm. off a book that the author actually went through something similar to this. Okay, and... Once again, this is a passion project of Angelina Jolie. She's met the people involved in this film and she is a great director. I don't like the fact that a lot of people didn't like Unbroken. I loved Unbroken. I thought that the not only was Jack O'Connell and Gleason, 
it's one of the Gleason brothers. Donal Gleason. Donal Gleason and, and Jack O'Connor in, in the central roles of that film, uh, telling the true story um, of someone persecuted during World War Two. Yeah, in a Japanese internment Intern- camp. camp. Yes, great film. I really, really loved it. Uh, I think Angelina Jolie gets a lot of stick, unfairly. Uh, she's not only a very capable actor, but she can direct a film damn well as well. Once again, Netflix haven't done a huge amount of promotion for this. It's not even in the recently added slot. I had to (laughs) go into the search for this one. Uh, But you'd think it would be the featured, you know, have it at the top there, bright. Angelina Jolie's name is going to attract some people. So you you would think they would be making more of it. Sadly not. It's it's not in English. That's probably a a reason why. I think that probably is correct. Once again, sadly, sadly, it's you mass market Netflix viewers that we're pointing the finger at. Go and watch something out of your comfort zones. Now, Mike, you're going to talk about a Netflix film as well, aren't Uh, you? Well, yes, it's, it's not there yet, but coming on the 22nd of September is um, The Bad Batch, which is a new film from Anna Lily Amopor, who was the director of A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Oh, yeah, we watched this a couple of years ago together. Great film. Um, and so instantly I'm, I'm on board for anything that she's doing. It's uh, post-apocalyptic or to a degree sort of set in, in a near future where things are not quite going as well as they could be. It's got a very Mad Maxian sort of vibe. I saw it earlier on this year. I was lucky to be able to see a preview of this there are a couple of famous faces in there one you won't recognize at all jim carrey uh yes it looks brilliant in the the little clip of him i saw in the trailer there's also um jason momoa who you will know from game of thrones and conan and and others and and also the the model uh suki waterhouse is the lead the lead in this Um, film and and from what i hear is it's supposed to be quite good in it and you know considering it's it's not her her day job it's it's quite impressive. It is. And, uh, of course, the dashing Keanu Reeves, who never seems to age, is a very prominent uh, character in this Who's film. another one, I think, is going through a, a Reeve-naissance. Yes. Just, he, he does very good projects. He's, he's picking slightly offbeat films that you wouldn't necessarily expect from someone of his stature. No, three films that I've seen Keanu Reeves in, the last one would have been... To the Bone, which is the Netflix original with Lily Collins, which is uh, about um, eating disorders. Eating disorders and he plays a dashing doctor in it, shall I say. I wish my doctor looked as good as that. And the previous to that, John Wick, which he's done brilliantly in. Uh, it's a bit of a surprise indie hit uh, with some very Hong Kong vibes going on there. Yeah, with again, a... clear influences there. And then previous to that, I'm trying to think what else I've seen Keanu Reeves uh, The one that sticks out to me is his um, directorial debut, Man of Tai Chi. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Okay. He, he he plays the villain to okay. all intents and purposes, which for Keanu Reeves is, is quite out of character. I uh, The one I was going to initially think of was Knock Knock. Which, of course, yeah. Which is the exploitation film. It's, uh, the Eli Roth. Eli Roth film. Now, not, I know a lot of people don't like Eli Roth. I, I don't particularly like Eli Roth. But he did a great little exploitation film uh, in Knock Knock and Keanu Reeves is uh, one of the central characters in that. Yeah, it's a cracking little B-movie mm. that I think is slightly underrated. 
And Mike, because this podcast has swallowed all my time up this week, I haven't watched anything on Amazon Prime, but I believe you have a recommendation for everyone. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, recently added to Amazon Prime in the UK, at least, is um, Captain Fantastic. Oh, the Viggo Mortensen The film. Viggo Mortensen starring, uh, directed by Matt Ross, who I only learnt today is um, is an actor who you may know from a number of films. Uh, what you might also know him from, which is what I recognised him from, is uh, in the TV show Silicon Valley. He okay. plays the character Gavin Benson, who's who's quite a big feature. Um, and, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd heard of Captain Fantastic and had no idea that it was directed by an actor that I was familiar with, like we, we had earlier. Okay. Also, there's some other familiar faces in there as well in Captain Fantastic. I saw this last year. There's a very talented British actor in there who was in... A film with Sesh Ronan, which we mentioned last week. Uh, George Mackay, isn't it? George Mackay, yes. Uh, he plays one of the children of Viggo Mortensen's character. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed this film last year. I think it's got tonally a lot to do with uh, Little Miss Sunshine. Right? Yeah, it yeah. definitely feels of the same ilk. Yeah, um, great, great film. I would even go so far as to say one for all the family, or certainly if you've got teenage kids, uh, definitely one to take them in to watch. And yeah, it, it's one where I... I have quite an admiration for Viggo Mortensen as um, post Lord of the Rings. Mm. He he had the chance to take the easy jobs, to take the the big money, mm. and he chose not to do that. He chose to forge his own path yep. and pick the projects that inspire him. And and I yeah, I think that is something to be commended. Uh, and this certainly looks like another one of those slightly offbeat. It's it's left field, but very well done. Okay, so that is Captain Fantastic out there on Amazon Prime to stream in the UK at this moment in time. There are other services. We've always talked, we talked about Movie last week, which is the curated bespoke service. BFI Player, which I had a quick look at this week, has lots and lots of free things on there. So you don't need to be a subscriber or pay for anything. You can watch a lot of short clips about life in Britain uh, over the years. There's quite a lot of short clips. There's a lot of to do with uh, the experience of being someone who is of Pakistani or Indian origin in the 60s and the 50s. Very engrossing archive footage that there only four or five minutes long but probably give you an idea of what it would be like to to be that person they're filmed in documentary style well that's one of the great things about the the bfi is that they have access to this archive this mm. vast archive of film and that the, they curate and collate a lot of it yeah they look after this archive very well and the, it's it's well stocked from what i believe so there are there is loads of stuff on the bfi player you don't have to be a subscriber however There is one thing that's open to us in the UK as uh, license fee payers. uh, We have to pay for a TV license to watch TV over here because we have a fantastic thing called the BBC, which gives us a load of entertainment across channels without any commercial breaks. And you probably have heard the BBC because of all the dramas we export over the world. Uh, Um, Sherlock. Top uh, Gear at one point. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And um, the Luther as well. Many, many shows. And on the BBC iPlayer, we get to sort of do a bit of catch-up. It's a bit like an HBO Now sort of service, so something you may be familiar over with in the States. And I saw on that there was a film called Risk, which is the film directed by Laura Poitras. I don't know if you've heard of this one, Mike. Um, This is the second film uh, directed by Laura Poitras, who is a documentary filmmaker. 
Now, she did the Citizen Four film. That's what that is how I have heard of her. Okay, and this was all linked in with WikiLeaks, and we could spend hours unpicking uh, WikiLeaks and everything else uh, to uh, do. And, with, and the Edward Snowden, and the Edward which Snowden. Citizen Four is concerned with as well. Based on now, she's shifted her focus onto someone else this time, and this film came out earlier on this year i'd like to say yeah 2017 in the uk in june and it involves julian assange who has become less of a freedom fighter and more of a dubious character because of who he sides with the, the more that's revealed of his personal character makes him a lot harder to be on the side of no he's obviously had some accusations thrown at him he was living still is living still is i believe yeah living in the belize embassy yeah, which is is not because of WikiLeaks, which most people probably assume, and and I know I certainly did. Um, it's actually because of a crime he's committed, committed and, yes. and is accused of. So he's essentially avoiding extradition. Yes, for uh, a crime that he believes he didn't commit. Um, a, a reprehensible crime, it must be said as well. Most crimes are, but but this one, this is, one particularly, yeah, ab- yeah completely. Um, so this is Laura Prentice's. Uh, f- documentary film filmed over the course of six years and mostly i believe within the embassy itself because julian assange cannot step outside of this embassy otherwise he will be arrested and there are people on 24-hour watch outside of this embassy waiting for him to step out and make that move they can arrest him and extradite him um there are people that actually do shopping and everything else where it's it's a real it's it is a prison to an extent but a luxury imagine a luxury prison and uh, that's what julian assange has access to so this was filmed over the course of six years i haven't seen it myself but i am locked into it just because of laura Poitras as a documentary filmmaker and how good was citizen four when that came out it's a very very new film it's up on the iplayer and it is called risk those are our recommendations for the week mike um, I think we did pretty well there, getting out into the world some of the films that are exciting us at this moment in time. It's the end of the show, Michael. Oh. I know. Uh, we have done what we intended to do, which is significantly play longer than <laughs> last week's episode. Yeah, you didn't think we'd be able to do it, we did it. we've shown you. We've done it. Uh, so well done to us. If you think our show's too long, tough. It's even longer this week. We've doubled down. We're going to go for, you know, marathon next time and see if we can out- outdo two and a half hours uh, for <laughs> next time. So it just leaves us to say thanks to you, Mike. Thank you very, 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 very much for joining me today. Uh, Mike is uh, on Twitter as at the late great MR. That's all one word. You can follow Mike. Mike's had a few followers this week. Uh, Which is quite, quite exciting for me on a slightly selfish or not selfish a shallow personal level i i recognize it as a flaw but it is quite nice just to see those numbers jumping up a little bit they're not all spam bots are they i hope not okay. they, they may well be uh one of them was a, a picture of a gorgeous lady who mentioned singles in my area but I, i'm not really sure <laughs> mike i couldn't do this without you that's not a compliment that's just a statement of fact we want to thank Bo at Big Num for our opening music and our closing music. Check their album out from Monkey Came Man from Man Came Me out to buy or stream on Amazon Music Unlimited and you can buy it on iTunes as well. The amazing podcast people that always supported us. You heard all three of them today, in fact. Uh, JD and Brendan at In Session Film. They've covered it recently. Tim and Walter and Hermano at First Time Watchers. 
Hello. Uh, you covered a headshot featuring Iko Uwais, the Indonesian actor from The Raid. I love how much they said his name. It was just brilliant. <laughs> they clearly enjoyed themselves with that one. Jason and Lee, you've recently done an episode in Upstream Colours, we mentioned earlier, and you are at the Atlantic Screen Connection. So three podcasts there that you can follow, Atlantic Screen Connection, First Time Watchers, and In Session Film. All well worth your time. Everyone at Thunderbird Releasing, thank you so much for your kind support. You've been brilliant to us. Uh, we just want to mention you've got a film coming up uh, out on DVD at the end of this month, so at the end of September. It's a film called Brimstone. It's a horror western, which is quite similar to the uh, Bone Tomahawk film. That yeah, we it's, it's one I'm quite keen to see. Um, stars Dakota Fanning. Yeah. And, and it's just, again, quite quite an intriguing concept. And I uh, the trailer doesn't give much away, which I like. Okay. And, and so it's it's got its hooks deep into me. I'm, I'm fully on board for this one. Another great actor in there is Guy Pierce as well, who's always a solid go-to, isn't he, for for film? So Brimstone, check the trailer out. It's out on YouTube somewhere as well. So that's out on Thunderbird releasing in the UK at the end of this month. Um, see that button down there, Apple listeners? Can you see that there? Yep, the big one it says subscribe on it. Click that. Everyone else, follow suit on your own podcast directories. We would love you to subscribe to us. You'll get the latest episode straight away, downloaded to your iPod with no effort whatsoever if you just click that big button down there. Get the jump on all the other chumps. (laughs) That should be our catchphrase. (laughs) Did I I just invent that? That's brilliant. But we want to thank you for listening. So thank you very, very much for listening to us for the last two and a half hours. (laughs) Uh, You can get in contact with us because our show really is kind of nothing without your interaction. Please just follow us on Twitter. We're at Film Seekers. Go onto Facebook, give us a like, forward slash Film Seekers. You can send us a, a traditional email, hello at filmseekers.com. Just tell us anything that you've seen, how you felt, any cinema going experiences. We'll read them out on there. We'll probably pass our own thoughts on those kind of things. We want to hear your thoughts on Mother, of course. So if you didn't agree with how we picked it apart, maybe you are that kind of audience who just wants a plain beginning, middle and end in your narrative. Or you felt we read too much into it. Well- you know, there are there are all interpretations and opinions are welcome. They are. Other opinions may be valid as well. <laughs> Coming up next time on our show, we'll be dissecting and previewing a few of the films at London Film Festival in a special pre-festival episode. And we promise it'll be a bit shorter next That time. one definitely <laughs> will be. We have no option to keep it that long. No, uh, it'll be significantly shorter. It'll be a little wee episode going into London Film Festival. And you'll probably see us the other side of London Film Festival. So after the 15th of October, after that episode has come out we'll be doing live uh reactions from the films at the festival itself uh we may have a couple of straight out the door kind of thing it will be straight in the cinema in the seat mike you and i will be talking no time to prep or anything like that off the top of our head just like this podcast really in some ways and we might have a special guest joining us for one of those so uh stay tuned indeed keep it subscribed subscribe can I say that a bit more? Subscribe. <laughs> um, so we have some good interviews coming up as well with actors, editors that I already talk, talked about earlier on, if that doesn't excite you. And I know that if I was listening to a podcast, I'd want to find out who those people are. They will be joining us and taking part in the quiz, which does make its return to the Film Seekers podcast in, in the next couple of months. We've got those lined up. 
And we have many, many, many more things to share with you, including dissecting some documentaries, some vintage films. We're not always chasing the latest films, so be assured. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of films out there that, that there's a lot of films. Full stop. So it, it's hard to to know what you should prioritize or or what is worth your time. And so if we can help with that at all, I think that's a good thing. I do as well. And our closing line comes from the 1995 film by Brian Singer, The Usual Suspects, spoken by Kevin Spacey, who plays a character called Verbal. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, poof, he's gone. Which, for me, just instantly puts a smile on my face as I think about that moment. Until next time, thank you. Ta-ta. Bye-bye. This episode has ended, but your film journey doesn't have to. Head over to filmseekers.com where you'll find more reviews, ideas, and news. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Why not connect with us and let us be part of your film seeking adventure? 